Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Hangouts and Headlines, October 6th, 2022. I have missed you all. It's not like anything has happened in the past few days that I've missed in terms of news coverage or that folks have otherwise been DMing me about, right? That hasn't gone down in the last apologies. I know I've put up posts and tweets about not making the Monday or the Tuesday show. Frankly, the allergies in Michigan have just hit me like a freaking truck. Um, and they're still going on, honestly. But one, I missed you all too much to skip another episode when we have like 14 topics to talk about. Uh, but two, I mean, right now, mentally, I'm okay. I'm ready to go do some work, hang out with you guys in the morning. Uh, the only thing that might happen, and this is, of course, because I'm just so deeply invested emotionally in both Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, and, and the Rust story, and some other things we'll talk about, no doubt, is that I might just wind up tearing up <laughs> a little bit in my eyes. So if you see me go like this, just understand that I'm deeply emotionally invested in the stories that we're talking about. And, and really, that's what it's about. And it's not that my eyes are rebelling on me like they have for five solid days. Uh, I thought about wearing an eye patch uh, to the show. That might still come tomorrow. Casual Friday, getting real casual. We'll do some kind of Johnny Depp homage, even though I don't think he wears an eye patch uh, in those pirate movies. But otherwise, I'm super happy to be here with you. And I'm super happy to be here with you with a guest for the first time appearing here in Hangouts and Headlines. You might know him from some other show we do on this channel, but he is deeply invested. He might actually cry on this stream. Folks, please welcome David from Prototopics, RGM, the legend from Lawyers and Dragons himself. He is a big, big Lord of the Rings fan and a big marketing fan. How are you doing this morning, David? I'm already crying. I know. You're ready to go. You're ready to go. We'll see. Maybe you could do some voices as we go through some of these quotes. Now, the best thing about this. The best part about this, folks, is if you didn't read this Hollywood Reporter article, uh, which is um, very nice to the showrunners of The Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, uh, then uh, you're in the same boat as David, uh, who ha has not seen every crazy quote uh, we're going to pull up. We're going to read the whole thing. It's very long. Uh, we're going to talk about it as we go through it. Uh, but first, we're going to cover a little bit of what happened with Russ. We we're doing some updates. Uh, that's, of course, the Alec Baldwin shooting situation on that New Mexico set. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Last one, we updated you. The DA was looking to potentially bring charges against up to four people. There's now been a civil settlement. We'll see how that was covered in Variety, I believe. I believe we've got both of these major outlets. But before we do, I haven't talked to any of y'all in a while. We've already got 215 people remembering to set their alarm clocks for whatever uh, time it is at uh, whatever place in the world they find themselves. So where are people hanging out from? What are you excited to talk with me about? We also will talk about the elephant in the room. I did get about 40 DMs about Mr. Ricada. Uh, so we'll chat about YouTube bans a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's just dive in and see where everybody's hanging out from. Did you miss me? Did I miss anything? Was there any news that happened over the past, oh, I don't know, three, four days? that you want to make sure that we have covered. If you're a video game fan, I know there's video game news. <clears throat> so I'm trying to split this up today with Hangouts. And if I'm still good to go and not just tearing up on camera, doing some Microsoft Activision stuff uh, for a virtual legality later, we've got some stuff. Some stuff of it is important. Some is overly emphasized by Eager Beavers online. We'll, we'll get that separated and, and conversant. But David, how are you doing? I know I'm just talking here. I'm doing uh, well. I'm I'm curious what what happened in the video game sphere lately. Yeah, yeah, actually. we got well, we got one of the regulators in Brazil approving the deal for Microsoft and Activision, and so the Xbox fans super excited about that. Doesn't that mean this is everything is done? I was like, guys, it's Brazil. I don't 
I don't know what to tell you. No offense, Brazilians in the chat. Uh, but in terms of regulatory markets and jurisdictions, that they're not driving the story. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm just trying to help people understand that. And, and, and folks are very animated about this. And I think, I think, honestly, the CEOs of both Xbox and PlayStation are not doing a great service to their fans because they are fueling this kind of weird Internet animosity for what is very likely a deal that's going to go through in some form or fashion. I think there'll be some concessions, but that's fine. Um, and and really creating this kind of jousting atmosphere, even more so than usual, right? So if you're into video games at all, you know the console warriors are always out there. I like to tell the story that I cover things like Supreme Court decisions and lightly political topics and things of extreme import to the way you live your life. And the death threats that I have gotten, the, the review bombs I've gotten for my law firm are all related to Sony versus Xbox, right? It's not, I, I you know, I, I go over Bruin, I go over Dobbs, I do all this stuff. And it's like, I get the nicest notes. You, you handled that well. You, you know, you looked at both sides of the issue, blah, 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 blah. It's like, Sony pony, one star. This guy should be debarred. It's disbarred. It's okay, buddy. Um, <laughs> but uh, like, those are the, those are the quotes that I get on like reviews of my freaking livelihood, right? No, no offense to anybody again in chat here. YouTube isn't keeping the lights on. Okay. Isn't paying the bills. Isn't feeding the family yet. You can well, support us on Patreon and Utreon. Who knows? Uh, but, but right now law still pays more than YouTube. And so you go in there and you, you give me those one star reviews and I get a little bit, I get a little bit upset. I say, Hey, okay. Now <laughs> you don't have to agree with my take on that Xbox ad. Uh, no, and even just coming at it from a, from a business angle, uh, the amount of power that Google has over businesses and small businesses is ins is insane. Um, that you could have somebody come in and do that. I, I deal with it every day, literally every day. We've got our clients are review bombed from people for for random reasons that has nothing to do with their business. It's yeah. it's ridiculous the sway that Google has on on your livelihood as far yeah, and as I that's went concerned. through my digital marketing people and I went through Google and like they got rid of some of them. Yeah, and not you can't get rid of all. Not all of them, even though it's like one star Sony, Sony sucks, S-U-X. It's like, guys, do you think, <laughs> do, you, do you think that's a legitimate review of my legal performance? I don't know what to tell you. They just, they just, they go for, they go for the jugular if they yeah. can. And it's, and it's horrible when you've, when you created that kind of a mindset, it's just, it's so dangerous. Right. So Jim Ryan and Phil Spencer kind of jousting in public is like, guys, this is, don't feed into this. All right. But, you know, I will talk about that. That'll probably be a virtual legality because Microsoft also put up a website explaining why the deal is good. And, and I tweeted out, this got me a lot of DMs as well. I tweeted out, that is not the strongest si sign of, you know, uh, lack of vulnerability in your position. Uh, you, you wait nine months to put up this thing. It's not very well done. Um, and the regulators already have all this information. And I, I tweeted, I said, I, Microsoft seems to be more vulnerable than I would have thought. Or they think they are. Um, and, you know, people got on my case. It's like, look, I, I'm, I'm not in the room either. I don't know what's being. They don't even have to say this stuff. I'm like, that's the point. <laughs> By the time they think they have to put up something like that, I, they're, they're projecting weakness to me. But, you know, hey. Yeah, I, well, I think it's been it's it's been an interesting week, certainly. Or it will be an interesting week for, for Activision as well with what's going on with Overwatch 2. Yeah, well, I saw this Which, just strip the phone stuff because I was I was I was upset about the phone stuff. 
Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, it was if you have a prepaid cell phone and you purchased Overwatch 2 or you tried to log in on Overwatch 2 and you had to go through authentication, you couldn't get in if you had a prepaid cell phone. Yeah, and this is the first, I would say, wide four-quadrant appeal type game that had asked for a cell phone on consoles. Other people will bring up Rainbow Six Siege started doing that for like ranked games and apparently Warzone. But like Overwatch is hitting a different market than the man shoots, than than the tactical wall busting, uh, you know, military combat training games. And I, to me, some journalists got on on my case because I said this is ridiculous asking me for a cell phone. I don't, I don't want to give Activision my cell phone number. And there's yeah. well, people, game companies have been doing this for a while. I said, what games are you talking about? Is this a PC thing? Because there's a lot of stuff that's on PC, and I don't play as much on PC. I said, well, no, Warzone and Siege. I said, well, this is a different audience, so this is an issue of first impression for a lot of folks. I find it completely untenable. I, I, I'm not going to give you my cell phone number. Activision and Blizzard, who have covered themselves in legal compliance glory for two solid years now. Um, and, you know, I... I I, I trust Microsoft moderately more in so far as they already have my data because they have my enterprise data, but um, no, I'm not, I'm not going to give you my cell phone to play as a cartoon gorilla. I don't know what to tell you about these things. There's you won't? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. And so what's funny about that is, you know, they got hit on, well, there's tons of people that have prepaid cell phones. Kotaku covers it as, you know, Blizzard hates the poor. Um, as Kotaku is wont to do, uh, and and these kinds of stories, and the Blizzard just announced like this past morning. Again, this is just four thousand stories. I take two days off. Yeah, um, no, that's it, what happens. Yeah, I know. Blizzard, uh, Blizzard puts out a notice. It's like we're getting rid of cell phones. Sorry, all. It's like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you guys. I, I it feels the same way as the Halo Battle Pass. It's like, no, that's wrong. That math doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> why, I, why? Why did that get out of your your whiteboard? Um, but. Yes. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Nemesis says, apparently the prepaid stuff is only a problem in the U.S. Few people outside the U.S. are affected by it. Overall, it's a U.S. problem. As I understand it, uh, U.S. is the home of the burner phone and that a lot of other jurisdictions actually require you to like do some mild registration, even with your prepaids. Um, and so because Blizzard is concerned about killing cheaters, ostensibly, uh, I don't I don't actually think they're just collecting your data for nefarious purposes. And I just don't trust them. Oh, I do. Uh, is that... <laughs> Is that if without even that indexing, you know, just buying a, a phone off the street from Better Call Saul uh, doesn't give them that protection that they want from uh, what I am understanding to be Smurf accounts. Guys, I'm not in the competitive multiplayer scene. I don't get all this vernacular. We're just going to say cheaters here. That That's just all we mean. But thanks, David. Yes. No, that's another story that I could be covering it's, it's and not one. on this video, disappointing at least some people who follow me, but honestly, I can only, I can only cover so many topics at once, but that's one that we can cover as well. Uh, the Supreme court just decided to take up a two thirty case. People are asking me about have to read that, <laughs> uh, before I can comment on that. So it's been a fun couple of days. Um, and not allowed you know, to be sick. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no allergies for you. <laughs> yeah. The worst part about it is like, I, I, when I get sick and I'm just trashed and done, like that almost feels okay to me. Okay, there's nothing I can do. This one was more like some reading documents and like I'm occasionally tweeting and things like that. But I knew it's it's working out so far today, but I knew the past couple of days, like even looking into the camera was like making yeah. my entire eyes go. And it's like, I'm not going to do that. So I did do like a 10 minute 
virtual legality a couple of days ago that was cameraless, like I used to do. It's like, okay, so I did that, but I'm, I'm literally like this on the microphone, like reading the documents and you can't see that so much um, while, while I do that. And it's, it's like, yeah, I don't feel bad enough to actually be not doing this stuff. And so I'm just watching all these stories come in and it's nice to have people be like, well, Oh, what do you think? I think all these things, but I have no way to communicate them to you in Twitter form. Um, so we're back. We'll see. Um, and then I did, <clears throat> I have seen already the top the comments here. So I do want to talk about this because this is the other main thing that got DM to me. Um, and I, I have to say much like some of the other stories we talked about, I am wildly underinformed on what happened or what drove this particular action. So I'll say what I usually say on this, which is that YouTube, obviously a private company, um, can decide what it wants to affiliate itself with. But uh, my biggest issue with this platform is the kind of black box, mercurial nature, what just happened, I don't know, here's a form letter, we take you down midstream, and these kinds of things. Um, and so I'll be looking into it. I know a lot of folks you know, want me to make a big speech or, or something along those lines. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say this, I, there are ways to piss off YouTube. There are ways to get in trouble here. Um, and there are, there are ways that that's deserved and there are ways that there are not. I suspect, um, that, uh, Nick pushed some buttons and probably got an unfair mob against him would be my guess, but I don't know that for sure. I will say this, uh, YouTube is not always fair in its determinations. Uh, we have as an example in our space, you know, we had a we had a strike imposed on this channel for a video that was an, a year old when it happened uh, because their robots picked up a phrase that they thought was cyber harassment and bullying. Um, and so I, you know, I, I think people know this story a little bit, but I went and I complained. I said, well, you got first of all, you can't put a post on my video that says this was taken down for cyber harassment and bullying. You're defaming me. Let's chat about it, YouTube. Um, and it's not, it, you know. I think folks that are in my space enough know that that's extraordinarily unlikely to come from me in any event. I don't believe in ad hominem attacks on basically anything. Um, and so I was discussing a topic. Uh, in this case, it was actually about moderation policies on social media, which was great because I was able to make a video that, that said YouTube strikes my video on YouTube moderation. Um, you were bullying and, them. <laughs> yeah, I'm bullying YouTube. Well, I will say this, and I know people have heard me say this uh, before. YouTube, the one thing I know will get your video suppressed is putting YouTube in the title. They do not like to be talked about. <laughs> so that I can watch. I can actually show that probably scientifically. I could do some math uh, to show that happening with videos that use YouTube in the title. Uh, but um, so I totally get where everybody's coming from. I saw him post the thing. I saw people ask me the questions. I... Uh, I want more voices to be out there having conversations. Reasonable minds can differ. I cannot speak to what the specifics are here. And I think one of the problems there is I'm not sure Nick can speak to what the specifics are because I don't think YouTube has told them. Um, so everybody's kind of reacting in a vacuum. Um, but I, I will continue to say that I, I want more voices out there. I know he's he's casting or streaming on other services, I think Odyssey and Rumble, um, that you can check out. I don't expect him to be brought back. Um, because I think that was his third active strike. I cannot speak to the fairness of any of those because I don't, I don't know the specifics there, but I, I suspect, I suspect he'll be done on YouTube. So we'll see. I hope I'm wrong on that. Um, but, uh, that's, that's basically what I've got on that topic. David, you, you, you stream, you put videos up. You have anything else to add on this? 
Um, the, the world that we're moving into is going to be very, very controlled by YouTube. Um, so just, just, just as far as this is like very early on, this is going to happen more often. This is going to happen more often. Uh, YouTube is in a is in a war with TikTok and Zuckerberg right now. It's the three big social media companies are fighting for who's going to be in control at the very end. As of right now, we know YouTube is is going to be in the lead very within the next six months. YouTube will take the lead, and then based on that, it's going to be survival of the fittest. And you're going to see a lot of accounts start getting dropped like this. And if you follow David on Twitter and you're a content creator, it's scary. David constantly <laughs> says things like "get better, <laughs> get good, <laughs> get better." I'm trying, David. I got allergies, man. <laughs> I well, it's just that's the world we're moving into right now. Anybody can pick up their phone and post content and then call themselves a creator. You get a couple hundred thousand views on TikTok. Now you think you're famous. That world is going away. It's going to become very, very difficult to get a message out there, to get views. And it's going to be whoever was in the game early now, right now, whoever amasses a following now are going to be the ones that survive in a year from now. Um, because platforms don't want this war to go on forever. There has to be somebody that finally wins. And YouTube, based on some things that I know from some talking heads, uh, it looks like it's it's going to be YouTube takes the cake. So hear that, this folks? is going to happen again. This is going this is going to keep happening, and everybody should be on their best behavior and taking care of themselves and their channels. Platform apocalypse. You heard it here first, folks. Which means you need to hit that like button. You need to hit the subscribe. You need to tell your friends I'm here, or else we'll die in the fires <laughs> of Mount Doom. Just to bring in other references that we'll make in this episode. No, I love you guys. Or right? not, because apparently this you don't I'm telling know. You, you follow David on Twitter, who's a good follow, by the way, and he's changed his name to Hardy, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> is this is if you if you do any of this, if you content create, he's constantly like, the marketing dollars are shifting, and content is all about quality. <laughs> Get better, Rick. It's just literally he writes them to me. Um, and <laughs> yes, it's, uh, it's, it's to uh, you. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, all right. It's motivating, but also like, man, I'm, if I let David down, I'm just gonna feel bad about myself for like the whole year. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I like most of my tweets are for me. Like I put them out there so that I remember these like, oh, that's a pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like you get self-motivation as well. Yeah. I like it. I like this question, by the way. I, I think I, I might have talked about this before, but you know, how did I get in touch with you for lawyers and dragons, David? Um, and the answer is David sought me out. So so David was <clears throat> David was watching the trial. And I get I my, my I'm I'm gonna speak for him. My, my guess here is he'll he'll answer this is that I, I was the guy talking about games. Uh, I was the guy talking about, uh, you know, creativity through um, role-playing and whatnot. Uh, and I actually, I must have talked about Dungeons & Dragons at some point because I, I got a number of DMs and statements from from people that wanted to offer to do uh, like a, a law tube Dungeons & Dragons game. Um, and so David was one of those. Uh, and then I think... What, David, you could tell me this. I took like six weeks to respond to you <laughs> or, so, or something like that. Or the, there was just so much going on <laughs> that it took us a while. It was a back and forth, you know. Okay. Because, yeah, was, well, those, those trial days were like 15 hours of streaming, then law firm stuff, then, you know, try to get up for what would one day be hangouts and headlines uh, towards the back end of the trial. So I, I am still not entirely certain what happened all those days because it's just kind of a... I, I, the, the memories <laughs> of this spring are, are are unclear, but yeah, no, David David found me 
Um, and then I, like I do when I'm vetting people or I'm, I'm hiring or whatever, I said, yeah, send me your reel, give or take, <laughs> give, give me some links because as David just said, one of the things you have to do with your channel or your space or everything else, you have to be real careful with it. It's like, all right, okay. If, if this GM is coming on and they're all, uh, manifestos on the 2022 election, uh, and talking about, uh, you know, various things is like, it's not going to fit. So show me what you're doing. And then uh, he had a, a link that he sent me to a Star Wars themed uh, Dungeons Dragons that he was doing. Yeah. And um, I got about 10 minutes in. I watched the whole thing, but I, I got about 10 minutes in and he started doing like uh, like a Toydarian Watto voice uh, to interact with this person. And I was like, he's good. <laughs> this guy's good. Um, and I, and I got to the end. I said, well, that was fantastic. All right. So how do we want to do this? And that, that developed into both the parameters. All right. So we're going to do family friendly and we're going to, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and then that pilot episode, um, with Falcor and, uh, and everyone and brains, of course. Brains. <laughs> um, and, uh, so, uh, yeah, all, all I can say is, uh, it was a blessing to me that, that David found me. And then I, uh, it's with, as with anything, when you're collaborating or otherwise putting stuff together, I, it sounds bad, but you got to do your homework. Uh, they're strangers to start out with. And, um, you've been on enough bad YouTube channels, people to know that there are people that if you brought into your space, it wouldn't reflect well on you. So you got to go check on that. And I hate that. I hate to say that sometimes, but people are cool about it. David was cool about it. He was like, yeah, I'll send you a link. Uh, but sometimes people get upset. People ask me on their podcast. It was like, all right, well, can you send me some? <laughs> I, I need to know what kind of podcast are you? Because uh, suddenly you find yourself taking pictures with people that are going to be used against you in a presidential campaign 40 years from now. And you're just unhappy. Um, so you got to watch that stuff. But no, the, the true story is David found me. Um, and then it was immediately clear that he's awesome. That's something that you guys all know now. Uh, but I was able to learn behind the scenes over the summer. Uh, and uh, I'm so happy that it did. Yeah, uh, it was just hey, I think there was a lot of people that that found community through those through the Johnny Depp trial. So it was uh, you know, cheers to that. Yep, my DMs will never be the same. <laughs> it used to be I could read them all. <laughs> it, it really was. It really was. It was a delightful little interaction, uh, and then it was like, nope, no chance. Gotta gotta try to do my best. Um, we got people talking about Google in here from your Google warnings. Alphabet's a huge corporation, huge, barely covers what Alphabet is, but yes, from A to Z, they want, they want your life from A to Z. So does Amazon, by the way, it's kind of how their, how their logo works. It's, uh, uh, it's very interesting. I, I'm talking about Ricada. I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about Nick. I am. Help, help I, Nick. I know. And I saw, the Twitter, I saw the Twitter trends. Um, I, I, I'm going to be the same way I always am, which is I have to know more. I, 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 I believe from what everybody's telling me that he probably got jammed by, uh, by a mass event. Um, and I think that's uncool, but I, I don't know. I don't know more. Yeah. But the ball's um, completely out of everyone's court. I mean, everybody that's talking about it. Great. You know, solidarity, everybody stand together. Awesome. But like, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing yeah. that anybody can do. It's going to come down to him and lawyers and YouTube. That's who it is now. Yeah. And 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 we've got a question here from Kalen. Nick's channel was banned, but I don't think the terms are written, so he can't show up on another channel. The question is who wants to take the risk. So <laughs> here's the deal, right? We've seen this happen on Twitch. 
where they have what they, they call appearing on another channel ban evasion. Um, YouTube has a generalized community guideline for ban evasion, as in all YouTube terms and service, as we have talked about. They are written so vaguely as to be basically skywriting in clouds as to whatever you might deem when you throw the chicken bones and you decide what they say. So if YouTube says, well, in this particular case, that would be evading a ban, then YouTube would be right. So I think your analysis here in terms of who's willing to take that risk is a correct one. Um, I don't know. I suspect some of my colleagues will, will absolutely have Nick on to shout about whatever. And so I would be anticipating that today, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but we'll see. Um, Nick hasn't, I don't, I don't know that Nick's ever been on this channel. I've been on his, um, but I, I don't, you guys would have to remind me if like during one of the hangouts he showed up. I don't, I don't think he's otherwise been on this channel. I've only been doing live streaming um, since May. Uh, so, which is a lot longer ago than I think. Um, but uh, I, I, I would expect him to show up. Some, some people are going to take that, are going to take that, to take that risk, I would say. Um, so with that, we're, we're almost at eight o'clock here, which is usually what we do the hangouts till. Um I think we're about ready to talk about Russ. We'll get Brett in here early. We'll bring this back up again with the article. Brett brings the powers, not Tolkien. I, the Hollywood Report. I, there are some quotes, Brett, that say it's it's very soul of Tolkien. Anyway, we'll get there. They use the names and places of Tolkien, but the writing is trash. When I hear the dialogue, like, okay, I think Tolkien would never have written that into a conversation. You don't like the okays? Yeah. Well, I yes. What? The mistake I think is made, we'll get to this, is that they have the OKs and then they have like the faux flowery. It's like you probably should have picked a lane there because the faux flowery is is a bit much. Here's Rob. Oh, Richard, you're alive. I've been alive this whole time. You've been chatting with me. Well, whatever. This is performative. Don't accept this from Rob. I'm so happy he said in a Tommy Boy voice if David wants to go at it. <laughs> I'll just start doing Fat Man in a little coat. Uh, but seriously, hope you're feeling better. Uh, yes, yes. I, like I've said to people, I might tear up during this episode. Uh, that's just because I love you so much. Uh, Brett, you can disagree. There's nothing I can do for you if you choose to be wrong. Brett is fiery today. It's fiery. Coming out morning. swinging. Jill Ferguson, Lawyers and Dragons is so entertaining. Hogue, David, Robbie, and Alita are having so much fun. We are. Lawyers and Dragons is so much fun. Uh, we have, we have a big one. Uh, Nick is scheduled to be on Crowder's channel later today. Is Crowder still on YouTube is my question. I, I know so. I covered him in virtual legality. Is he? I don't know. These are the things I don't know, folks. Uh, the funny thing about being a, a lawyer content creator is I don't get a ton of time to go check out other people's content. Yeah, you spend more time making your own than consuming others. Yeah, so I don't I don't know the answer to that question. But yeah, okay, so... so uh, Crowder's, I know, very popular, so that Nick's going to have a platform, definitely. Um, and I think I saw he got a bunch of people on Rumble last night. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Make Rick cry squad assemble. It's going to be the <laughs> easiest day today to do this. Basically, if I keep my eyes open long enough, I'm going to tear up. So we, we made it a half hour, which I consider to be a win. This would not have happened on Monday. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday were a little bit better, but on Monday, I, I, I would not have been able to make it. Well, just um, wait till the articles come out. <laughs> then he'll be crying right. for real. Well, and what a segue. What a segue. Let's just, <laughs> let's just leap off of that. Okay, folks. So if you didn't see this, this was all the talk of various of my DM channels yesterday, uh, which is that Russ team announces settlement 
uh, with Helena Hutchinson's estate, Hutchins' estate, will resume film production in January. Now, a couple of things jump out immediately as you read this. I think this is Variety, right? Yeah, it's Variety. Um, one is that the headline item is about the film production. I don't really blame Variety uh, for that, but in terms of how it comes across to the common person, uh, I think it, it winds up feeling a little bit callous that the announcement here on the settlement is that the, the movie will resume. Um, remembering, of course, that someone died doing this. Now, what we will see here is that the settlement itself is with the uh, the husband, the the widower of um, of Ms. Hutchins. And so my belief in terms of optics, in terms of messaging and selling this thing, uh, is that this is designed to say effectively, look, uh, the, the, the most affected people are happy with it. Um, so what what would you even be doing, district attorney, if you decided to bring criminal charges? Because the one thing that also happens here is that, and some people got this a little bit wrong, so that's why we cover this stuff in, in headlines, is that this is a settlement between the parties. This is what we would call a civil settlement. Um, that doesn't mean that law enforcement, the district attorney, the state doesn't have a continuing interest uh, in what happened here. And it doesn't mean that they won't bring charges. And so since we know that they just asked for $600,000, they got 300 and change, uh, and they've said that they're going to charge people, we wouldn't necessarily expect that to change. But the politics here does give Alec Baldwin, if we're being honest, leverage to say, well, look, they accepted this. They're okay with it why would we go through all this rigmarole? And I think that's why this happens on the timing that it does. We do get a quote from Variety, Variety doing its job here at the end of this article from the DA saying, whatever, uh, we don't care, uh, but we'll, we'll evaluate that as we go. So I don't want to capture this super chat as it flies by because I see ROP in it. So we'll get to that in a second. Uh, nearly a year after Helena Hutchins was killed by a live round fired from a prop gun on the set of Alec Baldwin's Western movie Rust. Stop, pause. We're going to Zach Morris this thing the whole time. Um, is uh, You can already see the passive voice, right? One of the things Variety is going to do here is they are going to carry water for the Baldwin and producers' view of the world. And part of the way that happens in writing like this is passive voice, right? Was killed by a live round fired from a prop gun. That is strangely without a subject, unless you want to give the gun agency. Um, so that was killed by, by a, a weapon fire. The estate of the late cinematographer has come to a settlement with the film production. Surprisingly, the film will also resume production in January. We have reached a settlement subject to court approval for our wrongful death case against the producers of Rust including Alec Baldwin and Rust Movie Productions LLC. As part of that settlement, our case will be dismissed. Both sides agree to get rid of the case because the court is frankly too busy, uh, but otherwise not interested when the, when the sides have decided that they have gotten what they're looking for. As part of the settlement, Hutchins, presumably the living one, Variety could do a little bit better here, will become an executive producer on the film, which will resume with all the original principal players on board in January, 2023. Again, Really? Obviously, all the principal players are not on board because of the things that happened with respect to the filming of this movie. Um, so Variety is, Variety is taking the press comments that the producers want them to have. Like this is what we would call a kind of placed story. Um, and you get these kinds of references. I, it doesn't get better. 
I have no interest in engaging in recriminations or attribution of blame to the producers or Mr. Baldwin, Hutchins said, who, who remember, was and is bringing a lawsuit against them. That's a kind of attribution of blame. All of us believe Helena's death was a terrible accident. I am grateful that the producers and the entertainment community have come together to pay tribute to Helena's final work. Far be it for me to say how this man should feel in this particular circumstance. But I, I don't, I don't believe you, producers. I, I don't, I don't look at this as a tribute. Um, and no. we know that Alec Baldwin was trying to get this film done uh, and reshooting for many months now. And we'll actually have Variety expose why that is in this very article when Variety deigns to report a little bit. Uh, Helena Hutchins, forty-two, was killed when Baldwin fired a Colt forty-five revolver that he had been told was cold. Okay. They were preparing to film a scene at the Bonanza Creek Ranch near Santa Fe, New Mexico, when the gun fired. So even though we have this active sentence here, which is pretty good, again, the gun is fired passively in the next sentence. She is survived by her husband and her nine-year-old son. The attorney for the Hutchins estate, Brian Panish, filed the wrongful death lawsuit in February, alleging that the shooting was the result of negligence and cause gun. This is a very weird paragraph, right? Attorneys do file lawsuits. So this is fully within the realm of technically true. Attorneys, you might note, do not appear on the party line when we're looking at that lawsuit. So this was the Hutchins estate versus the producers. And framing it in this way makes it sound, again, like there's some kind of separation of action from Hutchins himself from what was actually filed. And the only reason in my mind that you do this as you're evaluating this is you are trying to give this full, oh, no recriminations, no blame. My, you know, my lawyer filed a lawsuit and they can't do that without your approval. Um, or else you got real problems in terms of your bar association. Uh, and so this, again, is kind of setting out this separation because right now the producers and the movie makers and variety are working together to kind of set the tone for how you should feel about this. No terms of the settlement were disclosed. Newsflash, they're not ever going to be disclosed in all likelihood. Baldwin had taken the lead on an earlier effort to settle with the Hutchins estate before the suit was filed. Before... He knows the exact legal parameters while he's giving national news interviews and whatnot. He's trying to get some kind of deal done because he wants his movie finished in those discussions, which were revealed in an arbitration filing in March. The proposal was to compensate the Hutchins family through insurance proceeds and a portion of the film's profits, uh, profit share. Note who this doesn't have paying anything, by the way, uh, are the people involved in actually making the movie. Baldwin was eager to resolve the civil claims quickly and resume filming. Because the cast of Rust includes a child actor who would age out of the role. Nah. <laughs> I, nah. I, I, again, right? This is all set up to be like, well, Hutchins is fine with it. And I look, I'm not. That, that's on you, man. Whatever you want. <clears throat> but all of the rest of this goes towards. This is, this is Hollywood, baby. <laughs> this is, we got to get this movie in the can. And it doesn't matter. Right? So we try in March. March to get this thing refilming. This is right after. <laughs> I can't stop. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna pay you through our insurance and whatever money we make off of this because this is gonna be just a bang up hit. People are just gonna be rushing to see this movie. This is gonna be a flop. Of course it is. This is getting done for other reasons, contractual commitments, whatever. Because the producers have money on the line, they've got loans, they've got equity stakes, whatever, and they need to get this movie done. They need us to get out the door. And so this has all of the behind the scenes between the lines, just 
ickiness. They're they're going with the child actor story. Oh, the child actor would eat. Are you kidding? That's yeah. the best you out of all the stories you you guys write stories for a living. That's the best you've got. That's it. Well, this is what Baldwin wanted. Oh man. In a statement on Wednesday, Baldwin's attorney, Luke Mika, said, Throughout this difficult process, everyone has maintained the specific desire to do what is best for Helena's son. We are grateful to everyone who contributed to the resolution of this tragic and painful situation. It's a good quote. I don't believe it. It's a good quote. The director, who was also shot, says, In my own attempts to heal, any decision to return to finish directing the film could only make sense for me if it was done with the involvement of Matt and the Hutchins family. I mean, that's just good sense in terms of optics, bare minimum, just in terms of PR crisis management. No, don't try to go back making the movie without their approval. Though certainly bittersweet, I am pleased that together we will now complete what Helena and I started. My every effort on this film will be devoted to honoring Helena's legacy and making her proud. It's a privilege to see this through on her behalf. Folks, if I get shot making a movie, please don't use my corpse to try to suggest that finishing the movie is for me. I just don't. I, I'm cool. You guys are whatever. But but they're not making a Citizen Kane over here. It's going to be just, a, you know, an Alec Baldwin Western is probably not going to be special. And it's probably going to get horrible reviews. From, like anyway, like it was probably not going to be reviewed all that well from like from the get go. Now you've got a horrible atrocity attached to it. No one's going to see it. As no, Baldwin's not, career wasn't already in the can. This is going to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I still think charges are coming, right? So prosecutors in New Mexico have yet to make a decision on whether to file charges against Baldwin or the other crew members involved in the shooting. In August, District Attorney Mary Carmack Altwise asked the state for $635,500 in emergency funding to pay for up to four criminal trials. The State Board of Finance approved half that amount in September. It's close to half that amount. During their investigation... The FBI concluded that the firearm that killed Hutchins on the set of rust could not have been fired without a pull of the trigger while the working internal components were intact and functional. So Variety is doing a weird thing here where they're now half reporting towards the end of the article. You put it in paragraph 16 uh, and now they say, well, actually the DA is still looking at it. Also, the FBI said uh, Baldwin must have pulled the trigger, which I've contended looking at New Mexico law is probably unnecessary for aiming it at someone anyway. That's probably negligent use of a firearm, period. Investigators have focused in large part on Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, the then 24-year-old armorer who loaded Baldwin's gun. Here's an interesting bit. Though she was one of the defendants in this wrongful death lawsuit, it does not appear from the statements that she was a party to the settlement. <clears throat> they might have just picked their fall person and are going to try to put everything on her. Um, so it's unclear. Variety says it's unclear, but the statements that they've received do not indicate that this one person out of the group of people that were sued actually got the settlement. Now, what happens in a settlement agreement is that you agree to make them executive producer. You agree to give them X amount of percentage of the profits. You agree to give them this from the insurance proceeds. And in exchange, they give you a release. They say, I can't sue you anymore. You are no longer liable for anything related to this state of affairs because I'm being compensated for that. You give them that compensation. They give you that release. That's what a settlement is. But if you're not a party to the settlement, you're not released. Um, now, I don't know that Ms. Gutierrez-Reed is what we would call collectible um, if you're looking for finance or compensation. So that might be a part of the story as well. 
uh, Hannah's counsel takes it in a different direction. We are hopeful that the district attorney's office will recognize that a measure of justice has been achieved in regards to this tragic accident and that they will not opt to pursue criminal charges. You're not supposed to say that part. You see, Baldwin and the producers aren't saying that part. Um, I think Hannah Gutierrez Reed's counsel understands what just happened um, and now is very concerned about what is going to happen to their client and whether or not the DA will go along with this overall structure and sue precisely one person, which is this person. Um, and I still don't have great optics as to exactly how loaded bullets get over there. So I suspect that there is some responsibility to be laid at her feet. Um, but you can see what the producers and the money men have done in this particular circumstance. And if it makes you shiver a little bit, <clears throat> I don't blame you. The DA's office, however, said in a statement that the civil settlement would not affect the decision on whether to file criminal charges. Uh, as they must. I think it's going to affect it a little bit. The proposed settlements announced today in Matthew Hutchinson's, Hutchins, sorry, I just, Aiden Hutchinson is a Detroit Lion, I apologize. Wrongful death case against Rust movie producers, including Alec Baldwin, and the death of Helena Hutchins will have no impact on District Attorney Mary Carmack Altwice's ongoing investigation or her ultimate decision whether to file criminal charges in the case, said Heather Brewer, a spokeswoman for the office. While civil suits are settled privately and often involve financial awards, criminal cases deal only in facts. DA's offices never change. If the facts and evidence warrant criminal charges under New Mexico law, the charges will be brought. No one is above the law. <clears throat> so I will tell you this. There are probably tens of thousands of times where the elements of a criminal charge in New Mexico could otherwise be brought in which they are not. Um, that's just not how prosecutors or district attorneys work. It's not how these offices work. It's what we call prosecutorial discretion is you go and you evaluate whether or not the state has enough of an interest in prosecuting a given charge to actually uh, warrant the charging process. And in this particular case, Alec Baldwin and his producer buddies are going to go forward and say, if the husband is okay, if the son is okay, what is the purpose? And it might be that New Mexico says the purpose is to make sure people don't aim guns when they're making movies here. Uh, and this is a really great and public way to make that point known. Or they might otherwise... If we're cynical, say um, Alec Baldwin on the on the criminal line against the people of the state of New Mexico, I mean, it's going to get me some publicity. So let's go forward with that. I do think that there will be charges filed. I do think right now everybody involved seems to think it's going to be Hannah Gutierrez-Reed at minimum. And then the question becomes, out of those four people, one of which was named in her request for financing in Alec Baldwin, uh, does this particular DA go for that? Um, and so we'll see. But they've set up their messaging. You do know if Alec Baldwin is charged, they will come out. They will say, you know, look, this is just political grandstanding. We've already taken care of the people that are most directly involved. This is blah, 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 blah. That's why this settlement happens when it does. Um, and so, yeah, it's a little bit icky, this stuff, isn't it? This is, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do trials and this kind of thing on this channel very often because it's like, oh, this is, it's a fun way to, this is a fun way to start your morning. David, did you see any of this? Do you have any thoughts on Rust or? Uh... You know, I, I, I just, uh, I mean, I heard about it when it happened, but I really haven't been following it too closely because I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was a done deal. Frankly, I really did. I didn't know it was going to, you know, be dragged out this far, you know. When she died, it was pretty serious. I, I I am shocked that they're still moving forward with making this film. Yes, that's that's one of those things where it really does seem 
it's not you yeah, know it's, yeah it's it's well hollywood i mean hollywood's doomed anyway so i'm not surprised uh, it, there but you know it's like who's gonna see this who's lining up to see russ the alec baldwin western okay no one <laughs> no one's coming out for this especially now with all the bad publicity attached to it I, I would be interested be the, to see how the reviews are, though. It'll be the rubberneckers, right? It'll be there'll be YouTube videos of people pausing the frame where he points the gun at camera, and like they maybe even they have try that to kick in. that scene out. Like, yeah, that's what you're gonna get. You're gonna get people watching the crow and you know talking about death. Yeah, I, I, it's just, it's not good. It's not a good look. So, and Kate brings up a great point. Hard to say how people grieve. I And I, I do, I hesitate. This is not how I would react. I don't believe. Thankfully, I don't have to deal with it. And I, and I, as I said, while I was covering that story, look, I I can't put myself in those shoes. You have to do what you want to do. And, and maybe the money is just so great that you think that that's, that makes sense. I, I don't think that's likely from the insurance, from everything we've heard about how they finance this particular movie. I, it doesn't look to me like a big windfall, buy an island payday. Um, but, you know, maybe he also wanted it over with. No doubt this is a whole painful process. Uh, some would want it shut down and never hear of it again while others may want it finished. We have no way of knowing. And I thought the husband said no originally. I I, I think that you, you heard in that story that they rejected the earlier, like, March-based attempts to get it done. Um, and I don't know how I would react, thankfully, right? We're all blessed to not know how we would react in that situation. Right. Uh, but I do think that the producers are taking advantage of um, either wanting to get it over with or, or just being willing to go out there with statements like this. They, he is, Mr. Hutchins is helping them with the quotes that he gave to Variety. Um, and, Mr. Hutchins uh, is selling out. <laughs> well, he is. And, and, and maybe it's, you know, maybe, maybe that's enough. I Honestly, I'm not sure I would have a taste for a full-on Hollywood fight uh, in litigation on this. Um, so I, I don't, I can't I can't speak to that either. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. We don't we don't know quotes. what the what the mindset is. I wouldn't is give the guy. cover quotes. I wouldn't give the I don't want to attribute blame whatever. <laughs> like I, I wouldn't do those. <clears throat> but I litigation is such a bear. Uh and if you and if you have lost you, you know your wife, the love of your life or, or or what have you and you're dealing with the aftermath, I can't say that I wouldn't want it to just be done, however. Uh yeah. so I I agree with Kate and we can't say for sure. I can tell you it makes me feel icky. So yes. welcome back, Hogue. I'm hopeful that <laughs> everybody's super enthused about spending mornings with me again. Let's get to something that only really makes David feel icky. And that is the Rings of Power. <laughs> the, glorious return, the glorious return of J.R.R. Tolkien, finally told as he had always intended in an Amazon long-form television series. Um, and now one of the things about this story that's interesting, David, and you probably, if you're, if you're a big fan, you probably noticed this, is that Amazon was like the freaking CIA <clears throat> before season one. <clears throat> they didn't tell you who was being cast. When, you, when that got leaked out, they didn't tell you what characters they were. There were like vague notions of second age. And like, that's what we had for three years <laughs> uh, before this started. And they wanted to keep it secret. They wanted to keep it safe, one might say. Uh, and so they went with this total silence, which marks a very interesting turn when they go full on open the bathrobe to Hollywood Reporter uh, yesterday, which you're in marketing, David. To me, this signals that they know they got some problems and they got to place some articles. <laughs> uh, the, the start 
to now of this operation on Amazon, uh, Bezos needs to step in and heads need to roll from the marketing department and the PR department and probably the entire writing staff. Um, you can keep on most of the actors. I think most of them are good. Uh, uh, but if they were given more, you know, better material, it would be better. So I can't really blame. You can't always blame the actors when the show is horrible because it's really not always their fault. I know Galadriel is one of the common points of reference, but I don't even know that I blame her. Um, so I don't, I don't I, have a big issue with the acting on this. Oh, her writing is dreadful. It is. So I can't blame the actress. I think the actress is doing the best she can with what she's given, which is the excuse that I gave for the Star Wars sequels as well. But that only goes so far as it, this is this is atrocious. <laughs> well, so before we get into this, David, let's give people our respective tilts here because I described this to you in the pre-show. Right. Um, but I don't hate Rings of Power. I am watching it, give or take, like uh, the Shannara Chronicles brought to you by MTV. Uh, and I have uh, I have a love of kind of guilty pleasure fantasy rock music television with uh, various CW shows. <laughs> the Shannara Chronicles, the 100, these kinds of things are things that I enjoy. And unfortunately, if you're a big fan of Tolkien, you're like, well, Rick, is that the bucket that you're placing this in? Yes. This is the bucket I'm placing Rings of Power in. It is roughly Shannara Chronicles. If Shannara Chronicles, instead of whatever budget it had, had 10 times that amount at minimum. Um, and that's what we've got with Rings of Power. David has a different view on the Rings of Power. David, do you like the Rings of Power? No. <laughs> but but the thing is, I want to. Yeah. I want to. And every episode, I come in with a, as much of an open mind. I'm like, maybe this is it. This is it. You know, this, is I, this is it. It's going to be good. They're going to they're gonna course correct. It's all going to be worth something. My hours spent watching this will be worth something. No, it's not. Okay. I got to give it another shot next time. <laughs> okay. All right. That was... You, you, you got me this time. I'll get you. And, and hey. it's, it's exhausting to be hopeful. <laughs> yes, yes. Hope is what kills you, right, Ted Lasso? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's um, – I get that. I get that entirely. Uh, and I, I also – I get a lot of the complaints. When I, I put these up on tweets of my own. Follow me at Hogla on Twitter. But it's, uh, it's very slow. Um, very it's little happens. It, it presents as a show – that is much more an encyclopedia of places or, uh, you know, an almanac of right. interesting things. Well, this is going to be Mordor one day. Like, I like that conceptually. Like, it's fertile fields. It's going to be Mordor. I like that's cool. But that's not a story, right? If you go into a writing class, you'll hear something about characters being needed to actually move a story around with I, art. I, I also want to take us before, especially before we get into this. Yes, I want to take a, a, long take form a article. step back and say that, I, at least for myself. Yeah. I'm bored as heck with the amount of shows that are on TV. <laughs> I'm I'm bored with the show model, the week to week show model. This story, this rings, the current Rings of Power story, could have been done in an hour and a half movie, and it could have been a spectacle, and it could That's have been a big be deal. One. Of what season one? They are they 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 fundamentally drag out every episode and take as long a time as they can. Because they try and eat up the clock so that you have that Prime subscription kicking in. Netflix does this as well. Uh, this is the I Disney, don't disagree, but I like Stranger Disney, Things season four better. I I had no, I like Stranger Things season four. I don't really have any problems with it. Like like oh this is terrible. No, I enjoy I enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, but Disney Plus, Disney Plus is dragging their shows out. Every one of their shows lasts for at least a month to two months now. 
because you, you they want you to for that 18 episode season of Andor. I haven't even started yet. <laughs> so here's the thing. I like Andor. I, I, I like Andor, but I actually think it's slower than Rings of Power. If you want to try to put that on your. I'm not watching. On, on your... <laughs> it is so slow. It's so funny because people have liked it more than me. I think it's fine. I, it might be Disney's best Star Wars content, depending on how it goes towards the end. Uh, but it is so slow. And it finally, like I saw the reviews for this episode this week and I haven't watched it yet. Came out and be like, well, Andor is still quality making, but uh, it's really, it really didn't do anything this episode. I'm like, it didn't do anything this episode? My God, what kind of curve are we rating this on? Is it just going to be Cassie and Andor sitting on a log, like looking at the tree line for an hour? It probably is. That show didn't need to happen. And if it did, I like him too. You know what Andor has? It's awesome. Andor has uh, the bureaucracy of the Empire scenes that are sweet for anybody that's ever been involved in like a big organization. Uh, they have really awesome, like territorial back office politics dispute scenes. And, you know, look, I'm the guy that likes to think about exactly how the trade federation was blockading Naboo and exactly what the taxation of the trade routes meant. So, you know, take that with the grain of salt that you need. Uh, but these scenes at the empire with like the various territorial governors fighting. It's awesome. It's like why I'm here. It's good yeah. stuff. I, I will. I, my intention is for the entire season to be released, and then I'm going to watch the whole thing, start I to finish. Yeah, no, I, 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 I hate the week to week uh, when when there's filler episodes. I don't have the. I, I physically don't have the time to be annoyed like that. <laughs> you can you can watch the first three episodes of Andor and get like the Andor movie that was probably originally pitched. Yeah, that you you get you get a you get a beginning, middle, and end of that first three episodes, which is why I think they released the first three episodes to begin with. But it does kind of put the point to what you're saying, which is it doesn't feel like a TV show. Like even the ending points uh, where Andor's end is like TV shows, even serialized ones used to have the understanding that you had to have some kind of arc within your 40 right. minutes or your whatever. And now we're just slicing movies up. Right. <laughs> I mean, look at um, I'm sure a lot of a lot of the chat in here is familiar with Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. Doctor Who used to be every 45 minutes was a completed story. Things start start to finish and the characters will go through a, a character arc. Yeah, and you'd put a hook in maybe for whatever the season's doing and that was Right. It. Right. You you there's a, the breadcrumb trail leaving leading to the season finale, but every episode is it, its own story and we don't have that anymore. And and Rings of Power here is just a testament to that of how do you drag out a single story as long as you can to eat up subscription dollars. This is this is something I wasn't expecting from the chat, David. I've never heard of this show. I honestly didn't think that was possible. Uh, and the reason oh. I didn't think that was possible was because if you ever even remotely hinted about the word Amazon, either in a phone call or otherwise, you were being sent a box that was wrapped in Lord of the Rings stuff while watching an internet website that was also wrapped in Lord of the Rings stuff. While if you ever visited Amazon, there was a countdown to the launch of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, if you want to talk about... <laughs> You want to talk about vertical integration, Congress? This is the kind of thing that you might talk about. But I didn't know that you could actually avoid it. Yes, it is on Amazon. It is called The Rings of Power. David gives it its highest endorsement. He loves this show, as you can tell. 10 out of um, 10. And, and so he recommends that everybody should check it out. You got some people, Rusty Robot, saying, I love Andor. Andor is the, is the most well-produced Star Wars that Disney has made. Um, so that's, that's always going to be a winner. That's part of what wins for Rings of Power, I would say, is that in general, you want to see some glossy stuff, you're going to see some glossy stuff. 
generally. You, you didn't uh, like the Tatooine Power Rangers race in Book of Boba Fett? Andor, the best part of Andor is that I don't have to listen to people telling me that Mando or Book of Boba Fett looks like super high quality anymore because Andor is so much better looking. I mean, it's like film grain and real places and like it's it's not even close. Uh, And I do think Mandalorian can use the volume better than anybody else. They invented the damn thing. But I'm pretty sick of seeing that kind of like gauzy, slightly alien background um, for these these other shows and movies that are trying to use this volume concept. And I think I, Obi-Wan was the final straw. Obi-Wan was so bad in how it looked, but I mean, Obi-Wan had many problems. It had the volume issue. It had the foam costumes issue and the makeup things from like the people that lost the sci-fi channel makeup uh, competitions. Like it had all sorts of issues. Then you get to writing. And I mean, part of what we're going to talk about here is like, why exactly are all of these platforms and streamers using folks that have no experience doing what it is that they want them to do? My best guess is price and control, but it's really interesting because what we're going to see here, first of all, we're going to see a couple of things. One is that it is a true fact that you can blame J.J. Abrams for everything that you hate. Uh, in modern movie making and television storytelling, including Rings of Power, which I didn't actually know until this article. So good for that. Um, two is that apparently in terms of writing, that's the one craft that everybody across these streaming platforms seems to think is completely fungible and doesn't matter who's doing it, which is bizarre because they're the actual storytellers. Um, because the artistry on Rings of Power, I think is pretty strong. Um, I think that the music in Rings of Power is pretty strong. It's not freaking Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson style, but it's pretty strong for a television story of this type. The main issue is writing. Uh, and that's plot on the one hand and dialogue on the other. Dialogue uh, is a mess. The dialogue is a mess. And by God, do they really love to take whatever should be a simple concept and make some kind of weird tortured metaphor out of it. <laughs> they, really love, they really love this move, which is like, okay, so what should we get for dinner? Well... The sun peaks over the horizon, and sometimes the mountain is cold. Subway, then? (laughs) Sir, this is a Wendy's. (laughs) Well, it's they, but they all talk like that, and that also prevents you from kind of distinguishing between them because they all kind of break into these weird metaphors whenever they like. Yeah, Um, and it's 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 bizarre. I Uh, I had said Shakespearean after I watched the first two episodes. They go for the Shakespearean feel, and it's not. And I, I mean. I have to watch it with subtitles because I'm like, what are they even saying? I don't even hear what they're saying right. <laughs> well, you do. You get the weird ones. You get like, well, how is a rock not like a boat? And it's like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. Cool. 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 The rock always looks down. I, we have to talk about the nature of rocks, brother. Uh, no. So you have these, you have these kinds of conversations and you get what they're going for. And the problem is if you reach for it and you don't hit it, you do sound like that high school literature kid. That's like, oh, it's like, oh, I, I want to pat you on the head and say, you know what? That wasn't awful. Except we're talking about a billion dollar Amazon franchise. Uh, so, and I, this is where I give the actors credit is one of the things I said for watching the first two episodes is like, actually, for the amount of crap they made them say, I think the actors acquitted themselves pretty well of getting around some of that, some of that dialogue. Um, but uh, yeah, the actors are doing their best with what they've got. I feel the same way about like Star Trek. It's like, well, you make me say some stuff. Good, good luck to you. And some of those actors can do it, and some of them can't. Right. Uh, but 
yeah. So, all right, let's talk about this article because I think I said that I might tear up. We might get David to break down here as the Hollywood reporter tries to sell us, well, tries to sell us a bit. The Rings of Power showrunners break silence on backlash. That's an interesting headline in and of itself because what's actually happening here is this is a marketing piece for get excited about season two. Um, I would argue oh, it's probably because you're not excited enough about season one. And again, not, it's not that Rings of Power isn't successful. By any metric, it is a successful show. It is not obviously a billion dollars successful. So we're going to no. also talk about that kind of auction process in this article. Sauron and season two. Sauron. The... <laughs> so, Dave, let me ask you this. Yes. When you started this concept, when you heard it was uh, going to be the second age and everything else, did you think that they would make a mystery box out of Sauron? Um, yes and no. Okay. There is there is a vision in my head of what I wanted Sauron and Celebrimbor to look like. Celebrimbor is the one that really doesn't match. Dude. He looks like a grandma. I, he, he, <laughs> this funny, it doesn't fit. News, I was like, you're supposed to be like the badass, most arrogant elf. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Calibrimbor, I think, is the lowest point of the show for me entirely. I, yeah. Even I Galadriel. That That's just how he looked. It's, look, it's yeah. not the guy's fault. It's just that was wrong casting. It, whatever they were going for is not what Calibrimbor should have been. He yeah. should have been. I, I heard him like, described as used car salesman Brimbor, and it's like, yeah. I mean, of. with the hair, and he just, he looks like, yeah. Oh, look, it's Grandma Calibrimbor again. Okay. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, so yeah, did it? Did I? I yes, because I knew that they were gonna play into oh, Sauron is the the great mischievous one who lies and shape changes, and and it was gonna give them the ability to jump between different actors of who is Sauron, and okay, so you are you did anticipate this more. See, I knew that that was what was happening. Yes, when the first episode kind of goes on, we're not gonna do this. Is not gonna be spoiler heavy, folks. But if you are interested in it, we might have to talk about some details. I'd um, say we have the first two episodes at least we can talk yeah. about. Everything yeah. else we yeah. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna try to ruin it for anybody. And like I said, I've enjoyed it. Um, I just don't consider it Lord of the Rings. Um no. so it was obvious from basically the end of the first episode that we're gonna play the game of, as you just said exactly properly, who's Sauron? Um, and what's funny about this is um we're gonna talk about JJ Abrams, we're gonna be talking about mystery boxes. <laughs> I think they did such a bad job of hiding who Sauron is. <laughs> it, was, it was the start of episode two and I'm watching with the buddy and I go, oh, it's Sauron. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it's like, and uh, none of that has changed as we watch, but it, they they're clearly are very invested in this. They're, nobody's going to know who Sauron is. And so the options here, as we get into the last two episodes of the season is literally no one knows because it's just absolutely off the wall and ridiculous, which is poor storytelling. Or everybody's known basically the whole time, and then you don't get your kick in the pants. Uh, that is what you're looking for. But I didn't expect this, and I was I was wrong because you're right. It's like okay, we got a shape changing dude that likes to that is like the devil. All right, we'll, we'll have him roll in. Yeah, I, I was very much hoping for that uh, Anatar version of Sauron, but mm -hmm. they've made it yeah. clear that we're not getting that. Even in season two, it seems we won't be getting that, and that's very disappointing. Yeah, I don't know what season two holds. I, we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, let's let's do some of this article. Two first-time showrunners, which is just hilarious, who landed TV's biggest series, what they wanted to be, certainly the most expensive, give THR a behind-the-scenes tour as they navigate challenges even scarier than Mordor. It's the internet. 
from patently evil online trolling. Patently evil. You know which direction this is going to go, folks. Two massive industry expectations. I think I am going to cry. <laughs> this is where everything happens, says showrunner Patrick McKay. The War Room. The large, windowless room centerpiece is a lengthy conference table, but your eyes are immediately transfixed by what's covering the walls. You're surrounded by concept art laying out major set pieces for The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Season 2. Showrunners McKay and J.D. Payne, that's right, one of the showrunners is actually named Payne, David, give a walkthrough of the sequences. They plan to introduce more iconic locations, familiar Middle-Earth characters, and a massive two-episode battle. This is obviously top-secret stuff. No media has been allowed on the fantasy drama set, let alone this room, which should put in your mind that something has changed at Amazon with how they feel about this product and what help they need from the media. But the showrunners wanted to give the world a peek behind the curtain to reveal what it's like to manage the biggest TV series ever produced. This, the showrunners, this is a lie. The showrunners are not in charge of whether or not they they show anything that's happening here. This is, this is an Amazon joint that gets yes. the Hollywood Reporter in there. Since Amazon's billion-dollar high fantasy launched September 2nd, which is a little bit unfair, we call it a billion dollars because they spent a ton on the they licensing spent rights. Spent a billion dollars. Yes. Uh, the Rings of Power has been blessed with strong critical acclaim. We're going to talk about this. Just hang on. 84% positive on Rotten Tomatoes and dragged by online fan bashing. Okay, so this is headlines. We look at language. We look at how things are reported on. It is not allowed, per The Hollywood Reporter, to simply dislike the show without moving on to bashing it. And they will frame this 39% in audience score as including an unknown degree of review bombing at the hands of internet trolls. This is what water carrying looks like, folks. Um, and I'm not here to, to deny that, that there are internet fans that don't like Lord of the Rings, uh, the Rings of Power, for any number of reasons. They hate Jeff Bezos. They hate Amazon. They have diversity issues. There are bad actors on all sides of everything. But what we talk about in this space is that, one, it's a little bit disingenuous to say review bombing. We're not also acknowledging that there's review booing, that we see this with things like She-Hulk. We see this in other places where you've got people that just put tens and say this is to combat the trolls uh, when you're looking at these numbers, but also to really frame out how this story looks. And so I, I went to this Rotten Tomatoes to look at this. And what's really interesting about this, and I don't regularly use Rotten Tomatoes. I, I don't find aggregators to be very useful um, on this kind of thing. As you do see roughly what they just described in 8438. This appears to be all that they looked at in terms of putting together that paragraph. But if you go into and you try to analyze like what's happening here with respect to these various scores, you'll see various scores from people. You got, you got four and a half stars from this person who doesn't want to give their name, which is odd. Uh, but okay, you give these up, you get these other scores from people. They're coming in four hours ago, five hours ago, five hours ago. And I was curious. The reason I came over here is I said, well, I'm interested in what episodes they got because the way Rotten Tomatoes compiles TV scores is a little bit unusual. Generally speaking, the reviewers get anywhere between one and like six episodes. I think the House of the Dragon folks got the first four, something along those lines. And that sets the stage for the numbers they get. Weirdly, though, when you actually look at season one, this is that 38%. You saw the 84 reference on Rotten Tomatoes. If you try to go and verify what it was that they saw, if you try to go figure out what it is that that 80 some odd percent review is, you're not going to be able to find it very easily. Here's one review from yesterday that is a positive uh, that talks about beautiful lights and sequences. That's not getting SR84. So it becomes very difficult to actually evaluate what it is we're talking about here. Um, and so I suspect that that 84% is the first two episodes. Generally speaking, that's what Amazon released early to everybody. They had their big 
like theatrical showings of that you go to the theater to see this david do i go to the theater to see what the, the first two episodes of rings of power no, <laughs> no they, I, so I was I was shocked. I was like, wait a second, what? No, this was in, I didn't tickets. even know it was in theaters. Yeah, they were, they sold theater tickets. It was a big thing. I'll ne I'll never go to a theater showing for a for a series, ever. I ever. don't blame you. Ever. Oh, there's only two episodes. I got to pay top dollar, and then I'm gonna walk out not having anything. No thanks. <laughs> no resolution. Nope. Not for me. Uh, yeah, that's right. You just well, I don't know. Peter Jackson didn't give you much resolution for his three hours. Peter Jackson had <laughs> solid concluded stories for the original trilogy. You know, I'm just devil's advocate of you, right? I, yeah, well, you are talking about The Hobbit. The Hobbit wasn't concluded. <laughs> honestly, The Hobbit is the one that is the best recipient of the Rings of Power because you look at The Hobbit and you're like, honestly, that wasn't all that bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but given, oh, wait, the show's Nielsen viewership is formidable. This isn't wrong. Its first two episodes were seen by roughly 12.6 million U.S. viewers across its first four days. It's a good number for a streaming show. But here is their primary problem. This will come up later in the article. And I would argue this is probably why this article exists. And it's called the House of the Dragon. House of the Dragon has turned out to be an absolute barn burner uh, of the water cooler type variety that we haven't seen in the streaming space in some time. Uh, this is one of the oddest stories. Here's from September 27th. So this is already a week ago back. This says another 3% uh, after time jump. Spoiler alert, there's a time jump. There's time jumps every other episode in House of Dragon. I haven't watched it, so. Time jumps about But I, I don't anyway. care about spoilers, so it's okay. Oh, well, time jumps. There's, It's uh, it, it's taking a big old, like, 40-year piece of history, so they time jump every other episode. So they brought in Matt Smith to do time jumps. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Give David a like for that one, folks. Uh, but here's the thing that's really interesting, right? So it starts out hot, and then it grows. This is an unusual pattern um, for, for shows of this type. Episode four shows a 5% increase. Episode five shows a 3% increase. Episode six shows a 3% increase. Sooner or later, you're talking about real money here. Uh, as you get all of these increases piling up on each other, this is a popular show that we don't usually see coming out of this format. And here's their number. Additionally, as of September 20th, season one was seeing an average of 29 million viewers per episode. It's like Seinfeld numbers, <laughs> a significant feat for any cable series, even with the help of streaming. Now, there's all the, there's other parts of this article that are interesting. Like nobody's actually watching it on HBO proper for the most part. <laughs> it's like two, two million. But it's like, yeah, it's, I'm not watching it on HBO Max. Right. Uh, and, and you see these numbers. Oh, here it is. 2.479 million on cable, 29 million total. That tells you a little bit something about the current market. Um, but when you compare this. 29 million and growing episode over episode to 12.6 to start, you start to have issues if you're Amazon, right? Because it's not just what you're putting in. It's not just what kind of you're getting out of. There's no question that Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power costs more money than House of the Dragon, even though House of the Dragon looks expensive. Um, so this is Amazon reacting um, to what's happening in HBO. But given this is Lord of the Rings, the bar is insanely high. And nobody knows the stakes better than Payne and McKay. I suspect some people know the stakes, at least as well. They are two first-time showrunners who embarked on an unexpected journey. Nice I, variety. Or a Hollywood I, Reporter drink. I, I hate this. <laughs> I keep looking at this picture like these smug guys here. And I, and I know it's it's photography and this is it's marketing. It's not their it's fault like, on this. On this kind of like this, like, it, I mean, I would never. Oh, actually... no, it's their fault. The show is terrible. Yes. 
Yes, it is. First it's time writers. Became. Yes, first time showrunners who embarked. Uh, uh, God, we're going to get to their resume. You're going to laugh. Uh, Please, who embarked no. on an unexpected journey nearly five years ago to make their J.R.R. Tolkien passion project, and have now found themselves, as McKay puts it, on the fault line of the culture war. So, folks, we got to talk about this for just a second. This has become one of the shields that all of these companies use uh, in respect of reasoned criticism. And I am not going to sit here and tell you that there aren't culture warriors talking about the Lord of the Rings and Disa and everything else. That exists. But this cannot be used to freaking disarm every bit of criticism that you get, whether you're the Lord of the Rings. What if any of Hollywood? Or your Star Wars. Yes, I said the words. And, And by putting this up front, you are getting what Amazon and these showrunners want. And this will be a much bigger section of this article. Just I'm warning David uh, as, as we go on. And, and this is what they're going to use to defend themselves a little bit. It ain't easy to focus on writing scripts and managing a cast and crew of 1300 on the most complicated TV production of all time. When Elon Musk is slagging you on Twitter. I, I don't know. Not sure. I'm not so sure. I feel like Elon Musk slags everybody on Twitter. He might have some thoughts on virtual reality that I don't know of. I, 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 think, who knows? I think they only invoked Elon for the SEO ranking. <laughs> that's how that's 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 how I really feel about this article. Well, it's not only that they put Elon Musk in and, Twitter and Twitter. Yeah, that same, was an SEO move. That's within yeah. seven words or whatever, right? Search engine optimization, folks. <laughs> that means when you search Elon Musk, the Hollywood Reporter article would come up higher than other things. I don't know. And why would anybody be searching Elon Musk or Twitter in the last thirty-six hours? Eh? I wonder. <laughs> some of what's been hardest to hear is the cynical point of view that this is a cash grab, McKay says. It's like, oh my God, the opposite. This is the most earnest production. This is not a paycheck job for anybody. I mean, out of 1,300 people, I said, yeah, probably. This is a labor of love. See, we're going to kill David here live on stream, (laughs) folks. So get excited. Uh, They talk a little bit about the bidding. A call from lawyers came in in 2017 that the token estate was shopping it around. Here's some interesting inside baseball stuff. Sources say HBO pitched the estate on retelling Middle-earth's third age, essentially remaking Peter Jackson's beloved Lord of the Rings trilogy, which grossed $3 billion and won 17 Oscars. Uh, yeah, don't that. do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, the estate had its gripes with Jackson's adaptations. Yes, indeed they did. Netflix pitched doing several shows, such as a Gandalf series and an Aragorn drama. They took the Marvel approach, said one insider, and that completely freaked out the estate. Yeah, I can see that. Rightfully so. Might have been safer. Amazon's negotiating team wooed the estate, not with a specific pitch, always a good sign, but with a pledge of a close relationship that would give the estate a creative seat at the table so it could protect Tolkien's legacy. There was also, of course, the money. (laughs) (laughs) Sources say the staggering number that's been widely reported of $250 was actually Netflix's bid. And that Amazon's number was a whole tens of millions less, albeit still staggering. Let's put them at 235 or something uh, to get that to get that number right. Either way, what's interesting coming out of this, and I said this in my reviews of Rings of Power, and I'll say this now, which is I said, I've, I said I've enjoyed it. I would never, ever claim that it is remotely related to what I have read uh, in J.R.R. Tolkien's works or even Peter Jackson's trilogy. It is its own thing if we're giving it the full benefit of the doubt. Um, that I don't think it protects Tolkien's legacy very much at all. No, I think it does more damage than good. And and destroying the fan base as they've done, that's not there protecting is, any legacy. 
there is some rending, right? Yeah. Well, and this is the other problem with that defensive move, right? Which is that, oh, our critics are racists or our critics are culture warriors or what have you, is you, you do get this kind of reflective defensiveness, right? Which is that I, I, I feel this happen when I say something about, um, well, rings of power or, or anything else where they use that. I felt this with Obi-Wan uh, when I was criticizing Obi-Wan. Uh, and some people jumped on me. I was like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't, this isn't about any of that. This is about writing. Um, and they use that as a defensive cudgel and it does split fan bases, right? Because the people do say, well, I'm, am I allowed to criticize this? I don't, <laughs> feels like I should be able to. Well, now you've taken the, the Lord of the Rings fan base, which used to be very good, and you've turned them into uh, worse than Star Wars fans because now they're, they're coming at swinging and everything. And well, right, right. When, when, once you declare yourselves enemies, uh, that that becomes a lot more. What I would argue is that some people are are watching Rings of Power with the intent of of like tearing it down. Um, I, with, I think that number is vastly lower than the amount of people like myself who want this to be good. And I think that's the worst part of of these guys jumping on here and saying, "Oh, it's a the culture war." Like you created this. Well, we know where this comes from as both a defensive step and in Hollywood in general. And let's talk about that. When Payne 42 and McKay 41, and I really hate when these stories have people younger than me, heard from their reps that Rings was coming to TV, McKay says a shiver ran through us, as did it all for us. The duo first met in junior high in Northern Virginia and became friends when they joined the same debate team in high school. They moved to Los Angeles and spent years toiling in the screenwriting game without a big win. Their previous gig was at Bad Robot where they punched up scripts and developed several projects, such as an abandoned Star Trek. We had reached a point we'd been writing movies for 10 years that should have gotten made. Movies where the director was right, the cast was right, the script was right, the title was right, and it was a big IP, and it still wasn't happening. So we thought maybe we should try TV. That's such a bad line. We'd been writing movies for 10 years that should have gotten made. Why didn't they? <laughs> I wonder. It's remarkable. I mean, the one thing is like, look, That's if this is such a out, bad line. If this were turning out golden, this story is amazing, right? I mean, like that, like, <laughs> and they think it's turning out golden. Like, that's what that is the that is the the the, the cards that they pulled out of their debate folder. Uh, everything's going great. Let's talk about our fairy tale start. Stop taking a playbook out of Ryan Johnson's How to Make Cinema. It doesn't work. It it's divisive. It causes more damage in the long run than it does good. <laughs> For the record, I would like it to be known that I did not bring up Ryan Johnson first in this oh. episode. Just oh. so we're clear. I'll throw that in there. Uh, so they, they said they had a dream of making Lord of the Rings. This is this kind of standard thing that you would say. Payne and McKay suspected Tolkien's far lesser known second age was the key. It's a centuries-long prehistory to the Lord of the Rings trilogy that still included some immortal characters, along with those soul-corrupting rings. Working together on an apartment floor, they concocted a one-sentence pitch, chronicled the first five minutes of Jackson's The Fellowship of the Ring, the Galadriel-narrated prologue that told the story of the Rings of Power, during the course of five seasons. Really, mostly focuses on the one ring, but that's fine. I'm going to vomit. <laughs> it's five seasons. It is five. Well, it's a five-season plan. Is it five seasons, David? <laughs> Come on, uh, Jeffy. <laughs> Jeffy needs to step in. <laughs> The writers have been described in the media as being like Proto and Sam, which is cute, but doesn't fit. The bespeckled pain comes across as sweet and reserved, and his love for Tolkien is profound. He has an almost spiritual respect for the material, 
and goes straight to wondering WWTD, presumably Tolkien, but could be anybody, to address any creative challenge faced by the show. Objection. It's a little bit of ego stroke in there. Facts, not in evidence. <laughs> in their Amazon pitch, Payne emphasized their show would be Braveheart, not Narnia. You want it real and lived in. So this is correct. This is the distinction. Uh, Middle Earth versus Narnia is a good distinction. That's that's right. You don't have to be a genius to come up with that, but that's right. Um, they had to pitch the whole show. And then Amazon wasn't quite on board. <laughs> Uh, the duo walked into their second Amazon meeting with full confidence, and then, well, we had to do seven more pitches. What followed felt to Payne and McKay like a six-month presidential campaign trying to sway various executives and stakeholders. At one point, they met with the estate, and Payne greeted Simon Tolkien and Elvish. Can you imagine the level of cringe? I can't. In another meeting, McKay drew a map of Tolkien's world, circled a small portion, and told executives, this is everything you've seen in the Lord of the Rings movies, and then just started to describe other places on the map, but there's so much more story to tell. Executives interviewed dozens of writers, producers, and directors before landing on this pair, including the Russo brothers, who an insider says pitched a third age Aragorn story. Now, it's unclear on the timing here from The Hollywood Reporter. It sounded like Amazon won the rights by saying they wouldn't touch the third age. So I don't know like what this kind of melange of information is. One strong rival was Oscar nominee Anthony McCartan, who had a Shakespearean take. Oh, gosh. Trying to convince executives to bank on two guys with zero IMDb credits, remarkable, instead of proven Hollywood hitmakers was no easy task. The people we were up against have resumes that on paper would be more suited to the gig. We were the dark horse candidates. Why are you revealing this? I love it. Because <laughs> this it's a scary isn't tale. a good, this isn't good. This, this is like, we're heroes. Like we, you know, we brought ourselves up from our bootstraps and created a pile of crap. Like it's not, this isn't a good take. <laughs> Again, you remember, you're thinking about it wrong. They have they're at the ball. They have delivered on this glorious ambition of theirs. This is their fairy tale origin story. They're delusional. Well, that does happen. <laughs> at one point, Payne and McKay asked mentor and former boss JJ Abrams, remember at Bad Robot, to call Amazon to put in a good word, and he did. Oh my we gosh. feel like that moved the needle, says McKay. Touchdown. He comes for Star Trek. He comes for Star Wars. He comes for Lord of the Rings. He is J.J. Abrams. What's that? You got a fan? You got a fandom there? <laughs> What's that? And then the, a shadow appears behind you in your business meeting. It's J.J. <laughs> I I had no idea about this when I was watching Rings of Power. I had no idea there was a bad robot connection because oh bad robot God. doesn't appear on the let's let's um, mystery box Sauron. It's a great idea, folks. Mystery it, box it, Sauron. It makes so much sense when you look at what Rings of Power is trying to do. Now, if you think J.J. Abrams is poor at what he does, and I do, you still have to grant him that he's pretty good at wrapping the box. Um, and then the box is empty and it's pointless, but he's good at wrapping the box. And these guys like took the concept of a mystery box and are really poor at wrapping the box. The Sauron box has wrapping ripped up on its sides. It has a hole. It actually has the manufacturer from where it's from. It's like those, you know, Shipments you get right before Christmas, and you're like, oh, I guess I'm getting a grill. You know who Sauron is as you're going through this show, unless they're absolutely crazy, and I'm not putting that past them. But it's J.J. Abrams who put these two on Lord of the Rings, conceivably forever, for at least five years of your life. Yet the deciding factor was their fleshed-out story and passion for and depth of knowledge of Tolkien's world. Amazon's programming team kept coming back to the same conclusion. 
the guys with perhaps the least experience were also the best choice. I, I'm amazed that they didn't pull in like a Hobbit quote about the changes from the smallest of things. Uh, hearing them bounce back and forth, they had such a deep connection to the material that was there from the beginning. There was no education you could do for that. It was their natural, organic interest. McKay says dryly, I imagine it was very scary for them. Okay. I'm going to be sick. I've got more news. The first season of Rings was an incredibly long shoot, complicated by COVID delays, extending over 18 months. This is just in a Hollywood Reporter article, Google. Don't hit me. If you want to put a COVID warning, you go right ahead. The filming was done in New Zealand with bad robot veteran Lindsay Weber, brought on as a key executive producer. Bad robot is secretly producing this. For season two, Amazon moved the production to the UK where the company's establishing a hub. Understand that the one thing everybody can agree on with Rings of Power, I think everybody can agree on, David actually hasn't conceded this yet, is that there are gorgeous shots, that it often looks very epic and big and theatrical. Part of that is because it's in freaking New Zealand. And the major change Amazon has made is they're pulling everybody into sets in the UK. That's a budget call, by the way. Asked what they've learned since that first season that they're now applying to the second, McKay is candid. It takes an hour, he says. The entire making of this show has been a massive learning experience for everyone involved. We had no idea what we were getting into. No one else did either. As if making a television show is just not known by anyone. Stop admitting your mistakes. <laughs> the first season's episodes, the team believes, improve as the season progresses. The show's September 30th, six, uh, September 30th, Sixth episode, that one wasn't written for speaking, its most recent is its highest rated yet on IMDb. Let's talk about that. Hey, IMDb. Oh. So, <laughs> it's a 7.3. So, well, no, no, this is the first episode. Oh, that's the first episode. Yeah, this is the first episode. No, no, episode six is very highly rated. Um, so, uh, here's the thing. One, it's a little bit disingenuous. <laughs> To start out your article by saying, well, there's all review bombing and everything's a problem and it's a culture war and the internet is worse than Mordor. Uh, and then go and seek as your foundational kind of evidence that things are good, viewer reviews on the internet. I, I mean, I, it's a disconnect between what you're using. But, but let's actually watch what this season does. 7.3 to start, 7.3 in the second episode. These launch together. This is people watching the same thing. That's why you have 40,000 plus reviews on these. 7.2. We're going we're going the wrong direction. You see, uh, and what's what happens here is that there's a ton of money spent on these episodes and then things slow way way down. Right. Uh-oh. We're going we're going even we're we're really going the wrong direction. Not only in the review number, but in the reviewed number. Right? This has gone down to 28. This is down to 21. Uh uh-oh. 16,000 give this one a 6.8. For episode five, and then you get to 19,000, giving this an 8.4. And I'll tell you guys, without spoilers, this is the one with the battle. So if you've stuck through it for six episodes, this is all nothing happening. And then you then you get a battle. Yay. The only battle. You get a battle. I think it probably will be the only battle. They've um, confirmed that it's the only, as far as I know, it's the only oh, battle. Yeah. Okay. Well, so you get the only battle. People like battles. Um, it's not awfully done. Um, and it's a little bit smaller than I was expecting for, you know, a billion dollars on the line. Uh, but it, it is, you know, it's a battle. It's competent. 
Uh, I tend to not like battle episodes as much as other people because for the most part, that's what you got. You got the battle. Um, you don't get, you know, huge character movement. You don't get that kind of things. You get the battle. Uh, but it was, I thought it was a competent episode. This is where I get that kind of CW stuff. This is like, well, it's a CW show if they had a lot of money. Um, and I wouldn't rate it an eight, but didn't hate it. Hey, there you go. But that's the evidence that they have of things getting better is this IMDb uh, rating. McKay now says the aim of season two, which quietly started filming October 3rd in the UK, is to be bigger and better on every level by any order of magnitude. Everybody always says that. That's not the great direction that you necessarily want to see here. And now, David, now you're going to start to cry because what we're going to see is we had their fairy tale history, which, you know, is interesting in and of itself. Now we're going to see them take some of the wrong lessons out of what it is that they've already done. Oh, no. Some people had nice things to say about the pilot in second episode, or, or they didn't have nice things to say, but I hope they stay for more episodes. What kind of quote is that? <laughs> I don't know. Criticism they can handle, and they've heard it all. Everything fans have debated, they say, they likewise argued among the creative team. They readily admit, for instance, that some of the first season episodes lack the urgency fans expect from Tolkien adaptations. Pause. Tolkien has good inciting events. He is not known for urgency. <laughs> Lord of the Rings has 40 pages of poems in the woods while you're on a death quest, right? Like, you, you have all this stuff. Tolkien is known for world building. Tolkien is known for poems and that kind of thing. So this is very interesting because the show does lack urgency because it lacks an inciting event. But here's what they take. One of the big things we learned was even when it's a small scene, it always has to tie back into the largest thing. You just learned that? <laughs> you, ju you, ju what you, you just learned that. I wonder why your 10 years of movies didn't get made. <laughs> there are things that didn't work as well in season one that might have worked in a smaller show. It has to be about good and evil and the fate of the world, or it doesn't have that epic feeling that you want when you're in Tolkien. I would argue, David, that this is not the lesson of what works in Tolkien, uh, that the small bits that, you know, the talking about the the, the white towers uh, and uh, the, the, the shadow and grace and these kinds of things are all part of Tolkien. Um, and what they seem to have taken is that we weren't arch enough in what we wrote in the season in season one, where I would say that they are arguably too arch. <laughs> They're trying too hard to make theatrical superheroes uh, instead of. The reality that that's one of the reasons i rejected this sequence here what did um, they think they were writing hello kitty I, island adventure what is this i the, well I, I i they think that they are getting crap because they bought they, they they wound up writing metaphors about rocks and boats and that what they should have done was talk only about you know satan and, and god um and i think they're wrong i think i think what they're reacting to is that they did that poorly and they aren't dealing with it properly. And that that actually puts a pause into what I feel for uh, for season two, right? Like, I'm actually okay with your kind of ridiculous MTV show. I'm worried that you're going to try to tweak it and it's going to be what much worse. Um, so then I'll be right there with you, David. This doesn't make two. me confident that season two is going to be even good. Uh, right. This, this no. makes me think, hey, we know what we're doing. It's our show and we're about to double down. Yeah. Get on board. Ship is sailing. Which doesn't mean Hollywood Reporter tries to do some cover here. 
The show won't continue to embrace small moments. They point that out that in The Return of the King, Sam sees a star through the clouds and says all the evil they're facing is but a passing shadow. And there's beauty above it that, it, that evil can never reach. Yes, we know he said that because they borrowed it verbatim for episode six, like straight up. <laughs> it's a tiny personal moment, but it reflects the theme of the entire work, Payne notes. And even the show's loudest critics admit the series looks beautiful and does a fine job of creating and appreciating the wonders of Tolkien's world. I think the visual artists are good on this, but that's not a story. But the duo's aim is as high as it gets. A classic that's watched over and over like Jackson's trilogy. When we talk about the measure of success, what matters to us is if it's entertaining enough that people are digging into it and debating it. The showrunners believe the debut season will be viewed even more positively as more episodes unfold with secrets yet to be revealed. They're really banking on Sauron. That will shift how the early episodes play upon your second viewing. Unless you're way ahead of them. <laughs> I think they think Sauron is hidden. Sauron might as well be walking around with a World of Warcraft exclamation point over his head. I, I, Guys, if you haven't watched this show, if you are remotely aware that Sauron is a character, and they introduce you to the fact that Sauron is a character that can shapeshift in the first five minutes of this show, so if you're not asleep when it starts, you should be ahead of the game here. Um, they are not being subtle about who Sauron is. There's so <laughs> the, the worst part about that is if you were going to do a Sauron mystery box, there has to be other characters on screen who could be Sauron, and <laughs> there there's no one else because there's no other... <laughs> There's just no other men. <laughs> there it is. Well, There's I, no I, other men. I, <laughs> Elendil, I, Isildur, and no the, other men. The last episode, it's going to be Galadriel announcing that she's Sauron, and people are going to lose their mind. It's so, so crazy. I don't think the writers have the guts to try anything <laughs> remotely risky like that. Uh, well, I, you know, I gun to my head, I would say Lost changed its entire structure in order to avoid people guessing what they were doing. And I thought that was to its detriment. But that, no, they've already filmed season one. So, yes, we know who Sauron is, unless you're absolute lunatics. Um, and they, I think they think they're ahead of people on this. They're delusional. I don't know what to tell you. Some things get in it. And then, and then we're not appreciated in our own time. I love this sequence of quotes, David. I love it. Some things get an immense amount of critical acclaim and win tons of awards, but they're forgotten next year. Conversely, some things don't get a lot of love, yet become classics being watched 60 years later. I think it'll take a while for the dust to settle. This, by the way, is surrender. This is you aren't going to love us now. Uh, it's, it's less of a surrender and more of a planting, a, like planting that flag. That's a double down. That's a, we don't care about you. We care about our 60 year legacy and our 10 years of movies that are sitting on the shelf didn't get made. Okay. This is our first one. We did it. <laughs> We're coming out blazing. Now I like Hollywood reporter coming off that quote. Of course, Amazon really isn't too enthused about the 60 year notion. <laughs> Uh, since the launch, its priority for the company has been obvious to even the most casual of Amazon customers. No Prime Video series has ever enjoyed Ring's massive level of retailer cross-promotion, such as a screen-enveloping homepage takeover, an order button countdown clock, leveraging such as on Twitch and IMDb. Does, wait, does Amazon own IMDb? Yes. Question. Do they? Yes. And packages yeah, wrapped do. in Ring. So so we're using, we're using Amazon's own <laughs> rating service? <laughs> uh, remember folks i enjoy this show <laughs> and packages wrapped in rings ads landing on doorsteps around the world 
Bezos himself hung out for a day on the set. The mogul publicly quipped that Payne and McKay ignored some of his ideas, but the writers never received <laughs> notes that they were told came directly from the big boss. <laughs> Wait, so so Jeff is <laughs> Jeff is on set saying, hey guys, I think you should do this. The richest man in the world. And they're like, nah, bro, we got it. <laughs> and the but the writers here are telling the Hollywood reporter we never got notes from him. Don't know. Don't know. That is hysterical. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? This is an amazing article. This is why I covered this. <laughs> oh while Amazon could, while Amazon could easily survive if rings were to somehow collapse like the Tower of Baradur, keep doing you, Hollywood reporter. Industry insiders say its studio arguably couldn't. They compared the company's bet on Tolkien to New Line famously gambling its existence on Jackson's movie trilogy two decades ago. It's since been sold. The show is exceptionally important to them, says one of Amazon's partners. Who are we talking about? Don't know. It's a branding opportunity for Amazon to show that they can deliver something with a patina of quality. We're talking like we're on Hoglaw right now. Patina, one of my favorite words. In terms of audience, critical and cultural reception, which they have not yet had. They're not really getting the cultural guys they want out of this. And strategically, in a market where there's contraction at many of their competitors, like Netflix and HBO Max, they think this is ushering in a moment for them to expand, not just in terms of throwing money at things, but their ability to draw other talent and opportunity. Contracting, penny-pinching HBO Max is outdoing them by double. <laughs> or as one insider put it, it's too big to lose which is never a recipe that's, for... That's not... A, you never say that. No one is too big to lose. Yep, yep. Salky's take is a bit more tempered. Obviously, it's incredibly important that this be successful, but this is a company that takes giant swings all the time, and they're not afraid of risk. This is also a little bit of separation of your own personal identity from the success of this uh, show. Yet Amazon has long known they were in for a rather bumpy series takeoff. They saw Tolkien fans slamming the Rings of Power online before a frame had been released. That's 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 misleading. That's drastically misleading. Of course it is. Well, and the thing that I saw get the biggest kind of pushback was when they when they put out the like the influencers uh like six months ago or, or six months before the show started that where they were like the, the Tolkien scholar fans or whatever that were talking about seeing moments from the show. But the biggest issue for me from Amazon's side of things is like, okay, so you're saying that this was unjustified. You hid everything. You hid everything about what this show was. Um, and so people that got the remotest amount of leaks responded to what they got told. The the marketing push for this show was division, 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 division. They, made, they created the culture war phenomenon here on day one when they started marketing this. That was their push. Would that you say that they, would you say that that's because they wanted the shield that they're using in this article that they are going to use like they were setting that up? Something tells me that somebody higher up in Amazon saw what was going to happen and they got in front of it first and made it a culture war issue instead of Star Wars has done this countless times. Yeah, we saw if it with everyone. Yeah, if they're not going to 100%, if they can't if they can't support it 100% and they know they can't sell it for its own merit, throw it in, make it Make it a cultural problem. Zeitgeisty, yeah. Having insight into our global audience, this is the Amazon spokesperson, we also have insight into the darker sides of how people can manipulate reviews and have other points of view that we wouldn't support. Lord of the Rings, folks, famously not about different races coming together to fight evil. 
So the streamer, and here's, I, I, I don't know if I actually covered this in this space or not. Here was one thing that I thought was really a party fall from Amazon that the Hollywood Reporter kind of calls out, kind of lets him get away with. So the streamer announced it was switching off reviews of the show on its platform for its first 72 hours after the premiere, then kept them off for an additional five days unannounced. And the company continued to monitor reviews. Some vanished so fast, it's like they were wearing the one ring. Seriously, you just keep doing this, Hollywood Reporter. It's never going to get old. Uh, but yeah, Amazon accusing others of manipulating reviews turned off everything and then pulls things without provocation. And the Hollywood Reporter mentions it. This is all the Hollywood Reporter can do, right? They're an access media kind of outlet. And this is an article that they've been given. This is as much as they could get away with in this paragraph. But this is effectively as close as you get to THR calling Amazon out. It's like they're pulling reviews <laughs> based on nothing in order to manipulate their number. Amazon claims there's been a coordinated effort to attack the show for daring to diversify Tolkien with strong female characters and that, people of color. Yeah, but that's what they created. That's what yeah. they did. That was well, that was incited by them. And Tolkien has always had Galadriel. Tolkien has always had freaking Eowyn. I mean, Tolkien, this is interesting in and of itself. The hardest part was for people on the cast who have had things related to them privately that are just harmful. I have no doubt there are bad folks out there. Yeah. And Fortunately, this happens all the time. I, like I said, I get death threats over the silliest stuff, but it's uh, it's it's the pattern now that we're seeing, David. I tend to agree with you on what is legitimate criticism. It's an explanation that satisfied the media, which is what they know will happen. But and this is interesting that Hollywood Reporter is even reporting on this. Yeah. Inflamed some fans who feel the company is dismissive of any criticism and arguably risked escalating what might have been a short-term dust-up into ongoing fandom trench warfare. Now, I don't generally like it when you go full metaphors. I'm like, why is it trench war? Anyway, as one wrote, I'm tired of the constant media harangues from Amazon that if you don't love the show, you're racist. Many point out HBO's House of the Dragon faced similar trolling for its diversity moves, yet its audience scores weren't impacted. Half the Dragon pretty famously made one of their families black. And honestly, I think it did a great service for House of the Dragon in one of the major plot lines that they've put forth. And I'll, I'll leave it at that because David hasn't seen it. Um, but to whatever kind of uh, crap they got from online idiots, it wasn't subsumed. Uh, it didn't subsume the conversation about House of the Dragon being good. <laughs> right? And so I think this is a great commentary. And yet, Hollywood Reporter, again, I don't really blame them for this. this is, they're getting this access because they do this kind of thing. It has this paragraph. But it's also possible Ring's percentage of agenda-based reviews might be much higher than for Dragon. This is an assertion based on nothing. Yeah, there's Tolkien's no proof. world has a long, unfortunate history of attracting fascist adjacent admirers. Prove it. Something that surely would have repulsed the fantasy world's anti-totalitarian author whose Rings trilogy was inspired by the horrors of World War I. Italy's newly elected far-right nationalist leader, G uh, Giorgia Maloney, for example, has been an outspoken Tolkien fan, unhelpfully. Or does that have anything to do with Thrones of Power? Now I'm just going to read all these as SEO now, David. I hope you, you've ruined me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when they drop names like this, it's for SEO. 
this whole so, this paragraph should be could be deleted and it wouldn't change the article. They insert this with no evidence or proof. Yeah, no, I think this is this is the backstop for what is a very effective rhetorical argument, which is like, dude, there's another show that had major race swaps. House of the Dragon, by the way, again, no spoilers, David, is about women and the patriarchy in that particular world with race swapped characters. And it's got great reviews <laughs> from everywhere. Um, so that can't really be that can't really be the reason if you look at it as a as a like for like kind of argument, which I think is a very good one. And so you get this fascist love Tolkien. Great. And yet a couple of paragraphs ago, you wanted to preserve Tolkien's legacy. I mean, this is a weird thing to say about something Amazon spent a billion dollars on, right? <laughs> but there's there's no proof of that. Uh, there's, there's there's no proof of any of this. You're, I mean, you're making I, these false, these these willy-nilly claims. I mean, the Tolkien estate should be jumping all over that statement. Right. Well, I mean... Because that's and, and defamation. Here, well, here's not. the thing. Statistics. I am positive that there are fascists and fascist-adjacent people. That like that everything. Like, that like every brand that like you everything. possibly think of. Yeah. Right? So you can always say this is a kind of technically true thing. I'm not, I'm not entirely certain about where long, unfortunate history comes from. That doesn't um, exist. But... Uh, yeah, they use only a present history, if anything. But yes, when you say something like this, this is that guilt by association concept, right? This is, um, there are the worst people in the world that love whatever is your favorite thing ever, okay? That just is true. There's just too many of us. Um, and so if you want to paint something with this brush, you're doing it for a specific rhetorical reason. This is why this is a good headlines article as well. This isn't just me screwing around on this stuff, is that you watch this rhetoric kind of be used. This is a ridiculously strong argument against this claim by Amazon. And so they have to do something about it. And this is what they choose to do. Or take this fan's complaint. So now, they're, now you're going to tar, right? Again, and, and you can always find bad tweets. A Tolkien adaptation is a new age, politically correct, girl power garbage version of fantasy that is, you know, doing some stuff with the text. That sounds like what's populating Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb right now. But it was actually quoted in Wired Magazine in 2001 for a story about Tolkien fandom's reactions to Jackson's The Fellowship of the Ring. So this should tell you, since Jackson's The Fellowship of the Ring is very highly regarded, that this kind of context proves nothing. That you actually, when you're looking at the aggregates here, that does matter, and that you will always, forever, be able to find a quote like this. I would argue rhetorically that this immediately disarms their argument on, in its entirety by saying this particular paragraph. Like, I don't know as argument goes, what the Hollywood reporter is doing right here. They're just kind of throwing stuff at the article. Payne, the showrunner, looks particularly distressed by the topic. <clears throat> the spirit of Tolkien is about disparate peoples who don't trust one another and look different from one another, finding common ground in friendship and accomplishing big things. I'm going to give full credit to him not using fellowship right there in his quote. <laughs> That's the spirit we've tried to inculcate into every single comma and period in the show. That this aspiration would be offensive to people and enrage them. It's very hard for us to understand. What are they protecting? I don't see how people who are saying these things think that they are fighting for good. There's a line in episode seven, spoiler alerts, David, where Galadriel says every war is fought from without and within. Sounds like another metaphor. Even if you're fighting for something you think is good, 
if you do something worse in that fight, then you become evil. I don't see how people who are saying these things think that they're fighting for good. It's patently evil. Now, here's the interesting thing about this quote, right? So we've got this in this article. This is a big, long one. You don't actually usually see this kind of quote block in an article of this type. Interestingly enough, you don't actually see what the prompt is. You don't see what- Yeah, they don't tell you what brought this on. They just insinuate what it is. Right. So it's it's all Hollywood Reporter talking about fascists, talking about a Wired article in 2001, and then says distressed by the topic. So this is the kind of thing the reporter can do to frame things in a certain way. This isn't me accusing Hollywood Reporter of lying or anything. And we can assume that it's an appropriate prompt, but we don't actually get to see what it is. And what the Hollywood Reporter actually established is that there are always people who say these kinds of things, even for things that are pretty much universally acclaimed, right? I know certain people have issues with Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. I am sorry, but those people are wrong. Reasonable lines can differ, but sometimes they're just not reasonable. Uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings is fantastic. Go watch it if you haven't. Uh, But this response is very kind of patronizing when you don't know what the prompt is. We can imagine, and that's what this article is built, for the most horrid possible things that anybody said about, say, Disa, the the dwarf wife, um, who I think is pretty cool uh, in the show. Certainly a cool actress. She's, Um, her character is one of the ones I have serious issue with how they marketed. Because what they marketed her as and what we got are two very, very completely different things. And Uh, I would, I would also wager to say she's one of the best characters and actresses on the show. I think she's one of, she's she's one of the, the dwarves are fantastic. I love watching the dwarves Uh, and she's great but they didn't market her the way we got her at all. Right. No, I tend to agree. Um, Yeah, very stoic and strong. Yeah, kind of different. Um, So uh, this, they want you to take whatever you've ever heard on the internet and ascribe it to this and then say, okay, that's a justified response. But what are we actually talking about uh, in terms of this? And and this is a long-form attempt to disarm what is that great argument with House of the Dragon. Nielsen ratings released September 29th paint a highly successful launch roughly compatible with Dragon. Roughly compatible. I, Hollywood reporter, shame on you. <laughs> Precise comparisons are nearly impossible because of several factors we won't bore you with. Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> this sentence is so on its face absurd that we know you're going to respond with this face, Rick. <laughs> and we've got reasons, but they're they're just too boring and tricky to explain to you. Just let us tell you what to think. <laughs> Everything I can find everywhere suggests House of the Dragon is double, if not triple, as popular as Rings of Power. But they're compatible, okay? Not, <laughs> they're, com- the not they're not comparable. They're compatible, Rick. <laughs> I, I, oh my God, it is it, compatible. What? That's got to be comparable. Oh, that's a that's a typo, <laughs> Hollywood Reporter. Oh no, they meant it. It's compatible because then it, then the sentence means nothing. <sighs> yeah, I see. Trust me, bro, in the chat. Yes, <laughs> they're compatible. Trust me, bro. Trust me, bro. <laughs> but like this this parenthetical only exists because they know how wrong it sounds. Even writing it down. <laughs> It's like nothing is bursting like House of the Dragon is. We haven't seen this in a long time. Um, that kind of episode over episode growth. Uh, HBO has to be just drinking champagne every night uh, with what they're putting out there. People and want to like stuff. That's why like, we come. 
people people want to like stuff. That is why House of the Dragon is working. Everybody was very upset with Game of Thrones' ending, and they were skeptical about this. And it took them being told from word of mouth is what is what is making House of the Dragon win. Is word of mouth. Marketing had nothing to do with it. Mar there was very there's not a lot of marketing for the show. Well, look, season seven and season eight burned people to the core. Like yes. people had to be wooed back into yes. Game of Thrones. Yeah. And House of Dragon is good, folks. It's a little bit too gratuitous for me in places, but it's good. Um, and yeah, so now here's the interesting part, right? This is one of the areas where I really think this looks like a placed article um, for uh, for Amazon in the Hollywood Reporter here. So Hollywood Reporter's carrying the water here with this kind of ridiculous sentence. But Hollywood Reporter understands it's an outlet. They're not going to stop there. One industry insider familiar with Amazon's inner workings suggests that the other fantasy show's performance, I love this, by the way, T-O-F-S, is more anxiously followed than the company lets on. You don't say. Ads, ads, ads. It was, it was never about the critics. It's all about consumers, the insider says. All Jeff cares about is consumer obsession. If you look at the history of Amazon, Every division lived and died based on that. Dragon matters because all of a sudden there is a benchmark. It is their closest comparable, comp, compatible to compatible. success. <laughs> when they saw Dragon grew in its second episode and brought in 20 million viewers, they were <clears throat> shitting their pants. <laughs> and that's a direct quote. I can quote it, folks. Uh, Amazon would certainly wow. not confirm that depiction. I love this article so much. But Salky says they're happy <laughs> with the show's opening and points to the fact that U.S. ratings are only one slice of the show's impact. The show is performing unbelievably internationally, she says. So we've been feeling pretty great. To see the U.S. slice come out is just icing on the cake. <laughs> wow. For Payne McKay, McKay, Dragon is a wearisome topic. They were making rings for years before HBO declared in March that its Thrones prequel was going to debut two weeks before their show. Suddenly, the media and fandom world wouldn't stop talking about dragon versus rings because, well, let's face it, everybody loves a fight. It dominates the narrative about how it's received, McKay says. It dominates the narrative because it's dominating your freaking narrative, buddy. But it was not at all part of the narrative and how our show was conceived I don't understand why it would have been. Hopefully we're competing against ourselves. Indeed you are. A great end. <laughs> uh, and then there's some, um, then there is some like, uh, uh, what would you, what would you this call it? This never ends. Just, it's the longest. This is what you get from a placed article. This is like puffery. They'll get some, oh, Galadriel, here's some special effects stuff. Uh, one's ma one major focus of the new episodes will be the show's big bad Sauron, who has been said to have returned to Middle Earth, but seemingly has not showed up yet. Right. <laughs> yeah, I when when he's on screen, I call him not Sauron. <laughs> oh, look, it's not Sauron. As we're some other YouTubers have have also coined that, they also say not Sauron. <laughs> we're we're doing we're doing our best not to say the actual character name, but honestly, watch God, the folks, show; you'll know right away. Honestly, folks, if you're if you're here watching with us and you close read articles or otherwise hang out in this space. Um, it does not take a rocket surgeon. This Sauron is not good at hide and seek. <laughs> it would be very tempting to make the first season of this show, the Sauron show, very villain centric, but we wanted that level of evil and complexity of evil to emerge out of a world that you're invested in. Not because evil is threatening it immediately, 
We wanted you to fall in love again with Middle Earth. We wanted you to understand and relate to the struggles that each of these characters are having before we test them in a way they've never been tested before. Fans have eagerly speculated certain characters might be Sauron in disguise, <laughs> which is precisely the sort of engagement the writers hope to see, you mystery box bees. It's another token thing where when a shadow spreads, which is part of what is happening in our show, it affects everyone's relationships, even Frodo and Sam. Don't compare. You get their names out of your mouth. We're both friends. <laughs> They're the best friends in all of Middle Earth, yet they started to mistrust each other because that's a manifestation of the shadow. Well, one had the what you know what? Forget <laughs> so having an audience suspect this person or that person could be Sauron is drawing them into that thing where the shadow is overcoming all of us and making us suspicious of each other. I'm suspicious honestly, of you right now. <laughs> honestly, this premise could have worked if there were like seven Saurons and you're just all freaking out and it's like a 70s paranoia thriller. That is not what's happening. <laughs> There's one dude that just looks at forges all the time, okay? <laughs> now that the production has found its stride post-pandemic and they're not going to New Zealand anymore, new episodes will likely be produced considerably faster than the debut batch. Still, McKay notes that expect to work on season two for another couple of years. Way to hang on to that momentum. The That's first a bad season, sign. The first season famously racked up a bill for $700 million, including the rights, and the additional seasons are expected to cost considerably less. Well, again, you're not going to New Zealand anymore. Here, you're really, really betting that your characters and plot are going to hold because it's the visuals that are the only reason that people seem to be hanging on. Given that their show's master plan is about the rings gradually corrupting the leadership of men, elves, and dwarves, I briefly wonder if the storyline risks making their saga a bit of a bummer. <laughs> As the whole land falls into enslavement and chaos. Hey, I was watching Revenge of the Sith, and I don't know if you know this, that ended in quite the bummer. <laughs> well, that's the secret sauce of Tolkien right there, Payne explains, leaning forward. I love those descriptors. <laughs> the grimmer things get, the more those pops of light have a contrast to bounce off of. That's what's beautiful about Tolkien. Even in points of complete despair, you can have two halflings look at each other and say, I'm glad you're here with me. Leaning forward. <laughs> this, is, this is cringe. Like this <laughs> the showrunners famously start every day in the writer's room with a Tolkien quote. As they blaze forward and try to level up their series amid outsized expectations, there's one that seems appropriate and... At, as it so happens, it's the same quote Payne recites when asked which is his favorite. Yes, it's completely random that they do use this quote when the Hollywood Reporter showed up. They passed in thought out to regions where pain and delight flow together, and tears are the very wine of blessedness. Uh, which means it's the idea that eventually sorrow can become part of the joy because you've gone through so much pain, and now you're on the other side of it. That's what, me watching the show. What an article. <laughs> what what an article Whoa. i love it so much i gotta say that was a, that was a fun one to be the first you know the first one that we've done together on your show that was like yes. that was a pretty good article to go through you know i love it so much <laughs> i mean i'm so glad you were here for it uh you know you have a vested interest in the lord of the rings the rings of power and i i showrunners do this a lot so i don't want to just put this on on these guys the showrunners can make you hate them <laughs> No, D&D &D did this for Game of Thrones. Didn't they? Freaking D&D. &D. <laughs> but they had, see, they they were on HBO. So they also had the added fun of doing those behind the scenes after every episode and sounding like complete idiots. 
Danny so for, so, kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet. They kind of <laughs> forgot about the Iron Fleet. Hey, where's that Iron Fleet? Don't know. Uh, we do have some uh, super chats here. And thank you always for the support of the channel. Nicholas says, since the premise for Rings of Power is that they don't have the rights for all of Tolkien's work, they apply artistic freedom. Under this, it's a good show. So, one, I mean, we have to argue the point of whether it's a good idea to try to make a work that is ostensibly in the spirit of an author and not get enough rights to stay within that spirit, if that's what's happening in Rings of Power. And it sounds like that's what you're kind of conceding in your comment, Nick. So, I mean, like, that's a, that's an open question. Like, is this a good idea if we can't get all the rights? And the estate is splitting them up, and we've got token enterprises, and we got all sorts of things moving around in the intellectual property. Check out Virtual Legality for my coverage of that kind of thing. Uh, but I think we have to ask that question. The second question is, I don't hate the show like David does. I don't think of it as Lord of the Rings, but I don't oh, there hate you go. the show. Yeah. So to you, it's not even Lord of the Rings. No, I this Galadriel ain't Galadriel that I've ever read her. <laughs> I mean, like, she is, I, for whatever reason, they decided to make Galadriel the most tone-deaf diplomat in the history of diplomacy. Um, and you watch these scenes where she's in a throne room or something, and she's just like, my way or the highway. And you're like, I... In um, in Dungeons and Dragons, we call that my what my character would do energy, and it's typically when you're making fun of somebody, it's a, oh, it's what my character would do. I would do that thing, like oh, you know, it's what I my character would do, and it's that's typically cover? very frowned upon. You know, when you do something really toxic or against the the group, um, and Galadriel is that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and, and that's a problem, right? Like, I don't actually mind if they know in their heads that Galadriel is like actually a really antagonistic force. Like, that would be great to have some signal of. I don't know that they know that. Uh, <laughs> um, and so it'll be interesting. They clearly are banking on the Sauron reveal, which I would anticipate in episode eight. Um, it'll be the last. I, I bet we get two. I, I can make a prediction now. I bet we get two more reveals. The Sauron reveal is in the last episode, like right at the end. And I bet you we get the Meteor Man reveal right at the end of the last episode. And I bet it's going to be something really cringy, like a line that that <laughs> I don't know if I want to say it, but it'll be something like one of those like little witty one-liners from a wizard that we all love from <laughs> Peter Jackson films. Yeah, you think this particular person arrives precisely when he means to? For, he arrives um, precisely when he, mean, he means to. Um, <laughs> when you're lost, always follow your nose kind of thing. You I know. figured he would just ask for some pipe weed uh, yeah. and we'd call it a day. Uh, no, it's funny because it's interesting that you say that there aren't other nominees for Sauron. I think they I think they believe they made him a nominee for Sauron. I think that's what they were trying to do. Um, I think they failed. Like I said, as it turns out, actually wrapping the boxes is a skill. JJ has that skill. Yeah, but they didn't use that skill here. They could have gone with... Anatar and and focused more on the elves, making him. I can't say it, but I. <laughs> right, you know, there's only the guy he is. Look, yeah, there's there's only a couple of men, and some of them have very specific names. Yeah, it's Elendil is Sauron. This is really going to screw up the mythos. You know, I just think it's uh... Elendil's awesome. By the way, he's the another another one of the actors I really like on the show. I have, Come on! I have I have you words. Like I right. I like the actor fine. I just yeah. don't think you know. I'm not seeing the King of Kings in in him at no, all. I, and well, I think they screwed up Numenor entirely. I mean, like 
<laughs> Here's the thing, right? Like, I am not a Tolkien scholar. So uh, what we have are my, like, head impressions. Numenor is the crazy country that rebels against God. That is so damn awesome that after. they have to be tricked into blowing themselves up. Yeah, and, like, that's only that's after on Sauron corrupts them. <laughs> that's not on display in the show. No, it's not. They're just, these start off and they're already dumb. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, they're, they're already... Stupid like, morons. Like Numenor should have been like the country of Avengers, like 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 literally like crazy awesome heroes, <laughs> and that's not how it went down. Uh, we got another super chat. Eileen was neutral. Re rings. These quotes are rage inducing. <laughs> Never read what a showrunner has to say. If I can make one recommendation, uh, skip everything they say about their art. Death of the author completely, and then go evaluate the art yourself. Because mostly these people are going to infuriate you. Yeah. I, for instance, absolutely adore Ridley Scott's work. I love what he puts on screen. Every single commentary track I have ever listened to him makes me want to throttle him. He is the worst. <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt with Prometheus and yeah. uh, the alien. I, he, I, the, the, whatever the next alien movie was. It's so arrogant. It's Prometheus and Covenant, I believe. Covenant, that's it, yeah. Uh, I almost said Isolation, but that's the game. I like I like your knowledge base, David. <laughs> Uh, let's see. This article was 100% bought and paid for by Amazon. I keep saying it's a placed article. Uh, yeah. I don't know that it was paid for outside of access. Yeah, uh, I think it was an access article. But but yes, it was it was a it was a joint uh, contribution to the pop culture zeitgeist from Hollywood Reporter and Amazon. Uh, I hope you saved it, Hug, before it gets edited heavily. It's saved with us here. Yeah. We are the the saving archive right you are I've the flash to, drives of i've truth. had to do that before <laughs> i've had to do that before where it gets changed and i have to pull up my screenshot of when we, we went through the whole thing folks we went through the whole thing we'll of course link it in the description hollywood reporter if your lawyers are looking at this there's a lot of stuff we didn't cover uh but uh we went through it from beginning to end if they change things we'll see it they're not going to change things amazon got what it wanted out of that article uh dnd definitely let the hype get to them absolutely I'm not a nerd, not a Tolkien nerd. You might still be a nerd, Robert. I like the show. You're more than allowed to like the show. First of all, I also like the show. Uh, don't let any of us ever, any of the panelists on this, be a wet blanket. You like something, we're not here to tell you not to like it. Um, but right. we do criticize things. Um, and so I, I do think anybody that's looking at it like a Tolkien work has some legitimate beefs uh, with what's up there on Ring of Power, definitely. Um J.J. Abrams and his ilk are not the kind of writers you need for writing nerd lore. They do not care about it. J.J. Abrams, the man that explains The Force Awakens by this is not a science lesson or whatever. <laughs> it's awesome. Great guy. Um, Danny kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet. Had me 10 different ways when I first thought, saw that on the behind the scenes. <laughs> hey, folks, there's a reason the final episode of Game of Thrones doesn't have a behind the scenes. And it's not because one wasn't made. It got stripped at the last minute. I have no idea what it said there. Someday we'll find it. The Rainbow Connection, The Lovers, The Dreamers, and Me. It'll be great. I don't think great. so. No, um, not with House of Dragon being such such a hit. Oh, I, we're gonna get it someday because they'll have a, they'll have a vested interest in burning David uh, and David to the ground, or what? I can't remember what the other D is. <laughs> uh, 2024 War of the Rohirrim from New Line and WB is from the same source material as Rings of Power has the rights to. Uh, yes, they, there's a whole bunch of stuff with the intellectual property. Just, I'm just, I mean, uh, just coming in as like, uh, I don't think we should be getting that War of the Rohirrim. I don't think we should be getting that. 
I don't think Rings of Power is what it should be. If 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 the Tolkien estate was smart, we should be going right into Sil Silmarillion. And they should be doing the Silmarillion from start to finish, just like take, the Jackson trilogy did. That would take some good writers to to decant that. Oh, it wouldn't be done right. With, with, <laughs> with Hollywood today, there's no there's no chance in hell it's going to be good. But that's what Abigail, we should be doing. Abigail, yes, this is why they had Gandalf. Oh, I'm sorry, Meteor Man. Uh, kill those fireflies um, is to give you that question. If you also note, he arrives in the yeah. meteor and it creates the eye of Sauron. Like it's designed to look like that from the overhead shot so that you've been told Sauron is returning. You get a man from a meteor and then you're like, well, he's scary. He uses the black speech or something that looks like it has the same effects from the Jackson trilogy. He kills fireflies. This must be our guy because they think they're being tricksy. Trixie hobbitses. <laughs> they think they're being Trixie. If you're interested in who's Sauron, look at the dude's like second line in his first appearance. You'll find your way. <laughs> uh, let's see. Less than half have hit the like button. This is an offense greater than that of Mordor and Mordor's creation or the Rings of Power creation if you're on the David side of things. Leave a like. Leave a like. YouTube loves that stuff. Um, and I'm not too um, uh, you know, prideful not to ask for it. So please leave a like. I appreciate it. It's all good. <laughs> I used to love the BTS stuff, but it's gotten so bad lately, especially since they like to tell people buzzword, buzzword, buzzword to cover themselves, whereas one might not read that into the actual work. This is why death of the author is a good philosophy to have, in my opinion, is because you get this kind of massaging and it doesn't feel right. And it's not what's actually in the text or on the screen. And it just, it's not, it's not fun. Um, or as Carrie Harvey properly says, artists shouldn't need to explain their work. Their work should speak for itself. They need to explain means the work wasn't well executed with their intentions. Harsh but fair from Carrie today. Off topic from that, Sarah, thoughts on the Onions amicus uh, brief. I think I got it sent to me a bunch of times while I was really down with allergies, and it might be something I cover. It might not be something. I will tell you to be the lawyer stick in the mud. I don't tend to love um, like satirical parody amicus briefs it's kind of an official filing they do have a point i'll have to read through it i don't know whether that'll actually be covered on the thing i'm gonna be a stick in the mud lawyer person and say i don't love it sorry uh jar jar abrams is anti-nerd i think he thinks he's pro-nerd um he thinks something i don't know if i like it Kate says they did Amelia, presumably Danny, uh, on Game of Thrones. Dirty, she wasn't even told, and they laughed at her when she was talking about being mortified going to a fan event to watch the episode with them. Disgusting. Yeah, she clearly didn't love how that last season went. I, I think that's pretty self-evident. Um, uh, Caitlin says, I'm going to say this again. Showrunners who are fans of their source material get so excited about seeing the story that they forgot to tell it. For example, D&D. &D. That's a very generous and positive reading of the situation. I like that. I think that can happen, especially if let's say they do have encyclopedic knowledge of what they're talking about. That can be a problem in and of itself because you are filling in blanks with what you think, you know, and obviously I tend to think that that's a problem for rings of power. Cause it like, it's all contradictory to what I know. Uh, but that might not be a problem with them who think that they've built something uh, that way. Uh, Abigail, you've come so far, Rick. You used to feel so embarrassed and awkward about mentioning the YouTube stuff for yourself. I, you got to play the game. <laughs> right? I'm here with a master marketer in David. I uh, can't be embarrassed about saying, here are the buttons you need to hit to make the robot happy. And we're all just trying to, you know, deal with the robots from these giant multinational corporations, whether it's Amazon or YouTube or whatever else. So hit the like button, tell YouTube that you like it. That'll get it shared around more. And if I don't grow by leaps and bounds, David says I'm dead in a year. 
So we've oh, got to get around that. And and as a testament to last night, follow your favorite creators on every platform they am they are on. That's true. That can happen. That can absolutely beyond, happen. Beyond everything, you gotta you gotta be following your people everywhere. Convinced to wait for my fall of Numenor pre-order. <laughs> oh God, they are going to be responsible for covering the fall of Numenor, aren't they? Riketa covered the onion. Check out his. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. <laughs> That's an F in the chat for that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what, folks? I've already kept David longer than I would have thought for this first episode. I don't think I cried. David might have. Uh, but I want to thank everybody for coming out today. We're going to try to do another Hangouts and Headlines tomorrow. I'm actually pretty excited about the fact that I'm still up and running. I can't guarantee it for the whole day. It tends to be that as the longer I go, the worse it gets. But we will see. Uh, and I do apologize for missing like 1,600 stories over the first part of the week. Even though I only missed two episodes, it feels like 20. And I'm so thankful that 760 plus of you have showed back up again for the early morning hours in the Eastern time zone. I think I'm popping onto another stream in about 17 minutes. We'll see if I do. Uh, but that would be over at Legal Bites with Lita. Um, and I have to practice some law as well, probably. Oh. In, it, you know, you know how it is. Either way, watch this space for virtual legalities and hangouts and headlines tomorrow. Casual Friday, maybe not so casual Friday, somewhere in the middle. We will see. David, you are always welcome here. Where can people find you? You got anything to pitch before we go? I, I'm over on Prototopics uh, doing Dungeons & Dragons content for now, but we're going to be doing a lot more creativity stuff in the near future, so I'll see you over I there. I love it. I love it. It's going to be a lot of fun, folks. And don't forget, Lawyers & Dragons is every Saturday, give or take, uh, on this channel at 10 a.m. Eastern. We have the mid-season finale where I am told bigger things will happen than Episode 6 of The Rings of Power. That's what David compared himself to. He said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try. We're going to try to be better than Rings of Power. So join us on Saturday. It's going to be awesome. And I'll see you guys all soon. Adios, everyone.